0: Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, Andrew Boy on Twitter at M-M-A-L-O-T and joined as always by my Canadian brother. We got my guy CJ or Cody Saftik. You guys can follow him at CJ Saftik on Twitter and we are here propping you up for the big UFC 263 card going down this weekend. Headlined by two title fights plus a third five-round fight. We got Israel Adesanya taking on Marvin Vittori for the second time, not to mention Davison Figueredo going up against Brandon Moreno after they fought to a draw back in december and lastly nate diaz getting his way going uh getting a five rounder going up against a well-to-weight contender leon edwards very much looking forward to this card especially those top three definitely should bring the goodies for us a couple of other good fights sprinkled out throughout the card cody i'm just gonna tee this up to you right now outside of those top three fights is the one that really sticks out to your mind that you really want to uh that, that you can't wait to watch?
1: Yeah, well, Olivier Obey-Mercier just became uh, probably the top-ranked Canadian (laughs) fighter in the country, but Hakeem DeWadu has a chance to maybe take that mantle back. I think him versus Mavadar Ivloev is going to be a really fun fight, and it's going to be a really good test to see where both guys are at. That one's going to be fun, but I think if you were just going for the whole, you know, guaranteed banger, you've got to look at the featured prelim, uh, Brad Riddell uh, coming in against Drew mean, Both guys are excellent strikers. Brad Riddell more of a volume guy. Drew Dober more of a power guy, but the way they match up against each other, You know, probably not going to be a whole lot of takedowns in this one. Strikers Affair. I think it's going to be really fun, uh, entertaining, and and a great way to lead into the pay-per-view in case there's some people that are on the fence about uh, watching the main card portion. So, yeah, I mean, top to bottom, pretty good. I know there's a PFL on right now, so I'll do my best to try to keep it more little concise today, and we'll just hit the best props.
0: Exactly, for sure. I'm very much looking forward to Evil and Hakeem DeWadu as well. That's my banger fight of the night, or at least banger diehard MMA fight of the night. At least we get to see who is the better prospect at this point in their career and whether or not Evil will take his first loss against a Canadian in itself, Hakeem DeWadu. I was very upset when this fight was made because I'm slowly cheering for Hakeem, but then also uh, I'd say Yves is easily my favorite prospect in the UFC currently. All right uh just want to remind you guys make sure you guys hit that like hit that subscribe as always special start time today 9 p.m eastern but we should be going back to normal next week at 8 p.m eastern but appreciate you guys checking out us, checking us out as always as you guys know already you guys are subscribed and liking on my channel but please do check out cody's channel the description the link is in the description below hit that link then hit that subscribe show you show your boy some love and if i'm not mistaken he just dropped a bellator 260 uh preview for you guys as well so if you guys are looking for some action on bellator cody's got you covered i might be doing a live stream for it tomorrow but we'll see but uh cody's already got you covered for that all right let's get right into the card let's not waste too much of our time kicking things off we got my guy jake Collier going up against carlos philippe uh Pretty interesting open here on the on the line, at least. We had Collier open up at plus 245, steady money coming in on him to bring him down to plus 150. Completely did not understand the opener And I still don't understand this line as I'm trying to take my bias out of it because of Collier making me look like a genius against Gian Vellante last time around. But I still feel like this is a great fight for him to go out there and pull off a decision victory, which is why ultimately I'll go with Collier. Um, better combinations, uh, more variety of strikes. Even if you watch that fight with Gian Vellante, the first like two and a half minutes. They already put up the statistics in terms of the distribution of strikes where they're going, and you see a complete like mix up for uh, for Collier, you know, j- just as much to the head, to the body, to the legs. He likes to mix it up a lot, and he showed in that fight that he can still go out there and replicate somewhat of what he used to do at the middleweight and light heavyweight divisions years ago before he hit- took off that extended layoff. Uh, Carlos Felipe, on the other hand, he seems like that guy that just, he seems like a bruiser, right? He wants to go out there, he wants to take your head off, he wants to be the guy that has the bigger balls in the cage, he wants to be that guy that, he wants to pretty much be the epitome of thick Diaz, as we like to use the call back in the day, right? That's that's what Carlos fully brings to the table. But I think that Collier uh this is a good test for him because I feel like Philippe falls between uh Tom Aspinall and Gian Vellante now we'll truly see how far uh, Jake Collier can go I don't think he'll ever crack the top 10 or top 15 of that heavyweight division but if you're going to continuously put him up against guys like Gian Vellante, Carlos Philippe um uh who are a couple other guys that come to mind just just guys in that uh, Justin Taffa, Jorgen Decastro. I think he's cut now but if you Put him up against those guys at plus money. I'm taking some Collier, especially at decision because it seems like he's just going out there and just beating these guys, you know, out them, clinching them up against the cage. He has a good smorgasbord, if you want to call it, of mixed martial arts skills that he's able to put together once he's actually going up against his opponent. So I, I like Collier. I like Collier by decision. I believe that line is currently sitting at plus 330. Uh, I think there's a ton of value there. Am I too high on Collier here, or do you think that uh, he has as good of a shot as I'm making it seem?
1: Yeah, I think he's got a good shot. It comes down to volume. I mean, that's one thing we were not expecting coming into the John Vellante fight. He had fought at middleweight. He had took three years off. He came back as a ballooned-up heavyweight. Not a a good-looking heavyweight. He had stretch marks. He just looked slow, lethargic, and Tom Aspinall knocks him out in the first round. Okay, so what's the expectation going beyond? Not a whole lot of guys were backing Jake Collier in the John Vellante fight. Other than John Vellante is not really a heavyweight. He himself is also moving up, so... You know, maybe you'd be a little bit winnable, but you were on him, man. You were on him for sure. You like Collier in that spot. And My God, for a heavyweight, this guy has excellent output. Like, he threw 277 total strikes against Jean Vellante, 272 of which were significant strikes. Lands well over 100, like 133, I think, in total, and just marches him down the entire time. One thing you got to admit, though, is that he hit Jean Vellante with all his best punches and failed to knock out Jean Vellante. Vellante not known for his durability at 205, certainly not known for his durability as a heavyweight either the last time that jay collier knocked out an opponent was alberto uda like five six years ago with a spinning back kick to the body and outside of that i mean he's just he's light on knockouts so i agree if you're going to take collier i think it's an output game i think he just out- hustles you and works you but ultimately fight goes the distance so with carlos felipe he's a big boy too but really he, he's not he's kind of got the frame of a middleweight you know he's six foot he doesn't have a huge reach on him he, he is a he's a big enough guy and he loves to swing that right hand but He himself is not really all that big on power, but all three of his fights in the UFC so far have gone to decision. He had dabbled a little bit in the pro boxing world, most of which were by decision. He just seems a bit of a decision guy himself. So I think no matter who wins this fight, fight goes a distance. And for that that reason, uh, the over 1.5 at minus 155, love it, love it. I think if Collier marches it forward, has his way, Felipe is going to take some damage before he topples over. If he topples over, and if 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 Felipe has his way, I think Collier is going to take some damage before he gets out hustled late in the fight. So that over one and a half at minus one fifty five, I like it. I think you got that actually
0: is, is wrong. Actual sorry. Sorry, Cody. The the, the, the the fight doesn't fight goes to decision goes is minus one fifty five. Yeah, fight goes to decision is okay.
1: Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- that's what I had thought it was. Yeah, I must have written it down, but that's what I thought it was. Was fight goes the distance one minus one fifty five. That's the way I like it. And because I'm picking a straight-up winner, I would go Collier. Again, think the fight goes the distance. So the Collier by decision, as you mentioned, plus 330. And, uh, and, and that would be the play there. But the confident play, the play that I'd be willing to put the money behind, is the fight goes the distance at minus 150. And then beyond that, if you're chasing a little bit, uh, go with that Collier plus 330 by decision.
0: Pressing 30 is, is a gift of the line, in my opinion, considering that's probably his best way to win this fight for both guys. Like you said, via decision is probably the best way. All right, let's move on to the next fight. I'm having some trouble with this one. I'm hoping that you can give me some clarity as well. But we got Farazi M going up against Luigi excuse me, Luigi Vendramini in terms of odds, pretty close odds here. We got minus 135 for ZM and plus 115 on uh, Luigi Vendramini. Uh, I I lean ZM here and I actually think that he gets it done via decision plus 215 is that current line. I like his style in terms of being that the guy that fights from distance, long rangey striker, it seems like, Uh, likes his leg kicks, likes to stick on the outside. Vendramini, I'm still trying to get a, a pulse on this guy in terms of what he truly brings to the table. Like he was off for an extended period amount of time, comes back and starts his Justin I relatively quickly in his return but we still haven't seen what he truly brings to the table right if I'm not mistaken he made his UFC debut on short notice against Alizio Zaleski Dos Santos and you gotta almost give him the benefit of the doubt in that fight considering the level of competition he's going up against but then in his next fight like I said extended layoff comes back we don't get to see too much of him but he gets his hand raised uh whereas ZM you know when he loses a fight the way that he did to Don he gives you a little bit of pause but we did see some solid improvements from him between that fight and his his next fight against jamie malarkey where he's able to get his hand raised i do ultimately think that this might be a fight where we'll see ex- extended i think that we could see the overs hit i i just i, I feel like the, the 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 volatility on uh vendromini gives me pause like the over one and a half minus 195 over two and a half minus 105 but vendromini seems like he has some power in his hand seems like he has a decent ground game as well and i feel like zm albeit you know a decent striker it seems like he's still a little green in his mma career i will ultimately go on the zm side via decision just out pointing him and out striking from distance but is there something i'm missing on this fight in terms of either side which side do you lean the most
1: yeah the only thing that i would worry about maybe this fight go in the distance is that vendermini has all of his fights have finished inside the distance all of his victories come either by knockout or submission and of course the one fight with uh, Zaleski that he lost, he was he was knocked out. So, yeah, he, he's a little bit volatile in that. We don't really know what he brings to the table, but I don't know for certain that he has three-round cardio, and for that reason, I'm a little bit hesitant on those uh, decision props. But, yeah, again, it's hard to get a beat on him. You mentioned the fact that he took the fight with Zaleski on short notice, but it's pretty crazy, dude. So he's 22 years old, very young for a prospect to debut in the UFC, but he takes the fight on a few days' notice. He had fought 17 days earlier in Brazil, comes over, takes his fight short notice, up a weight class at 170 pounds, and dude, in the first round, he took his back. Slick, slick body triangle. You know, it looked like he had good hips. Looked like he had overall good jiu-jitsu. But then he tires out. He's taking on a bigger guy than Zaleski so gets knocked out. Understandable. But he takes like two years off. Comes back as a 25-year-old. What kind of improvements has he made? Like, y- Yari's a durable guy. Yari went three rounds with Darren Till at 170 pounds, where is just a massive, massive man. Like, he he didn't really have durability issues. But you see this kid's got faster hand speed at 155 pounds, he packs a decent punch, and you know, just by coming off the layoff, he looked good, but it's a quick victory, so I don't know how he's going to look extended into it. Uh, again, because of the unknowns, the layoff, the only two fights in, it's hard to get a great read on him, but the one thing that you notice in the Zaleski fight is that he takes down Zaleski de Santos with a nice takedown, and it's just, he just muscles him. That's up at 170 pounds, where he's really a natural 55er. When I look at Zayam, it seems like in the clinch, good in the clinch, because he's got the knees and the elbows, likes that Muay Muay Thai style but physically he's not all that strong in the clinch and that's why Don Madge is is able to have a lot of success in the clinch with him and eventually able to take him down, scores officially three takedowns and then the Jamie Malarkey fight, Jamie Malarkey takes him down five times and largely controls him in the clinch and so that's the worry here is that Vendramini is a big strong physical guy, if he does have cardio even if he just has two of three round cardio He's going to be stronger in the clinch. He's going to be able to muscle this fight to the ground. So I don't got a great prop that I like on it. But again, because I got to make a you know a, a pick of some sort, one thing I was looking at was the Venger by uh, by submission at plus five forty five. So again, this guy is BJJ black belt. He does have a number of submissions on his record, and you do see the Zaleski fight where he takes his back and uh, and fishes for a couple decent rear naked chokes in that attempt. Zayam lost a decision to Madge. In my opinion, flat out robbed Jamie Malarkey by decision. But prior to that, I mean, he had a tendency to give up his back and give up rear naked chokes, right? Two of his previous losses, uh, again, both by rear naked chokes. So I wouldn't rule out that Vendramini just goes out there. You know, is way more physical than this guy, maybe gets a quick jump on him, and if he's able to snag up the back and grab a submission out of it, I mean, plus 545 was a big price tag. But to be honest, I, as far as a prop standpoint goes, he'd probably be best to pass on this one
0: yeah that i felt i feel like this fight is the hardest one to call on the card so there, there is no shame at all in passing in this fight and again like you said vendermini being a much stronger guy and a guy against a guy like zm who still seems like he needs to back on a little bit of muscle still needs to mature a little bit it could be some issues so i'm interested to see how this fight plays out all right let's move on to the next fight we got Steven Ocho Pearson taking on Chase Hooper Chase Hooper coming back from that uh, I believe it was that victory over Peter Barrett where he was able to uh, you know pretty much pull off a comeback victory uh, in the third round heel hook over Peter Beard uh, that was after he had taken his first ever MMA loss to Alex Caceres uh, Steven Ocho Pearson on the other hand coming off a beautiful spinning back fist knockout over Martin Bravo if you guys remember that one that was where they both throw the spinning back fist but Steven Pearson a little bit more accurate with his and he lands it right on on the button he's actually been out of the cage for close to just just three months shy of two months or sorry three months shy of yeah. two years since we've seen inside the cage so it's a bit of a layoff for the fortis mma product here and steven Nocho pearson but you got to believe that he's a much more well, well-rounded guy and this fight he's a much better striker that's pretty much the case with any chase hooper fight um chase hooper on the other hand we know that he just wants to drag the fight to the ground he has some decent durability as you showed in his Peter Barrett fights, uh, and then uh, yeah, decent resiliency in terms of coming back and pulling off the submission the way that he did. Stephen Peterson, on the other hand, feels like a guy that can go out there and nullify the takedown game of Chase Super. Chase Super still super young, still you know still needs to pack on some muscle. I think still needs to get some strength. Otherwise, I think he's going to struggle with getting a lot of these guys down. And is he really going to you know pull off a flying armbar or or pull guard and be successful in that aspect? I don't think so. I think Peterson is just too weathered at this point. If I'm not Mistaken, he fought on LFA 1, if I'm not mistaken, and won the title that night or or competed against for for the title of that night. The guy's been around for a while, and obviously, you know, he hasn't had the most fights in the UFC. I think he only has two wins uh to his name or two wins to his record in the UFC at this point in time. But there are guys over like Matt Bassett, who I would also probably take over Chase Super to be honest, and then Martin Bravo who would probably take over uh Chase Super as well. Chase just needs more grooming, right? The guy still needs... So I feel like they should have given him an an even more extended contract and that regional promotion that they're doing, island fights, and I believe he was a part of CFFC for one fight as well. They need to keep grooming him and wait till he matures a little bit more before he can start using his jujitsu like, competitively uh, i think ultra peterson will do a good job of keeping this fight standing i think hooper is quite durable so i think he'll be able to take uh, a beating here from steven peterson and i i, I do believe that you like this fight to go to decision just as i do I, I do think that we'll see the full 15 minutes here and i think that we'll see pearson go out there and outstrike him uh you know defending takedowns because that should eat up a bunch of time as well clinch positions all that which is why i think this fight will go over uh, but ultimately, I think it's going to be Steven Peterson that gets his hand raised by uh, pretty much just uh, piecing up Chase Super over the majority of the 15 minutes. So in terms of a prop, Steven Peterson via decision of 210. That's kind of calling my name here. How are you feeling about this one?
1: Yeah, I actually agree. I think Steven Peterson's one of these guys that's difficult to deal with because even though he's a generalist, he does have skills everywhere. I mean, his submission game, like, he, he's hot. He'll, he'll chase submissions. I mean, he'll go after it for gang rook, but he but the basic thing is He's got good grappling, and that's going to keep him out of a lot of the trouble that Chase Hooper could theoretically put him into. As far as his takedown defense go, for a guy that's very wild and kind of at times sloppy and reckless out there, he's got solid takedown defense. He's also very difficult to hold down. He's got a good getup game. And then, and finally, his striking, again, wild and loopy, makes it work for him, like the spinning backfist against Martin Bravo. But whereas a lot of guys are going to take advantage and, and do take advantage, I mean, he fights with his hands pretty low and kind of marches forward, he leaves a lot of openings for an opponent is Hooper going to take advantage of that? Like, no, I really don't think so. If Hooper was some jiu-jitsu whiz and just had off-the-chart jiu-jitsu, the best thing he could do is add a very solid wrestling game that would allow him to get these fights to the ground so that he can use that jiu-jitsu game. But it just doesn't seem like he's putting himself in a position to win. In any of your research, where did you find Chase Hooper was doing his camps at, by the way?
0: Uh, the last I heard he was uh, still trying to get work with Askren and Rufus part. No.
1: Yeah, so, so that's the thing there is that he was supposed to go to Askren's for Rufus Sport and get some work in, but he was going, like, on weekends a few times. Then he stopped going, Fight Pass shot some content. Then he's back home. Then he's just kind of doing his own thing. Then Askren ends up taking this boxing match. So, like, how much is he wrestling? You see how fat and out of shape he is. Like, I, I don't know. Is Ben Askren, is he still living in Askren's? I was like, I don't know. But during that entire time that he was with Ben Askren, he takes a slippery Pete Barrett fight. And in that Pete yeah. Barrett fight, it didn't look like the wrestling improved at all. So that's the thing. He's not physically strong enough to get these fights to the ground where he could use his jiu-jitsu. And so, shame on me, because I bet Jordan Leavitt last week, he's <laughs> going to have Jordan Leavitt's exact same problem, whereas he's not physically strong enough to get the fight to the ground. His striking, non-existent, and you're not going to win fights at, at this level just off your back the whole time. And that was Leavitt's case. You know, Up until that point, he was snagging up guys necks the next, and he was submitting them, and he was looking good. And then Claudio Puelos, of all people, by the way, nice call, because you were off Claudio Puelos. It's like you just you stay out of harm's way long enough, uh, it just neutralizes him. And I think that's Peterson's thing. You know, he's a good enough grappler that he's going to stay out of harm's way. His takedown defense is good enough that Hooper's really going to have to work for it. And as far as the striking goes, it's an advantage for Peterson. So I think Peterson's got it kind of all over the place. As you mentioned, I, I do like that fight goes the distance, plus 105. If Hooper's able to win this fight, you know, is able to say, just like a Luis Pena, right? When he fought Peterson, use that length to hopefully take a back take, use that length to kind of keep him at base, so to speak this still all equates to a decision victory. And Peterson meanwhile, if Peterson puts it on this kid, probably still equates to a decision victory as well. I know he's spitting back this Martin Bravo, but prior to that he's one of these guys that can unload his best shots on uh, on opponents and they do typically tend to take it. And with Hooper, um Pete Barrett hit him with everything he had. He took it. And Bruce Leroy hit him with everything he had. Yeah. The kid did take it. So I'll give him one thing, like he's more than just a jiu-jitsu nerd, he is a fighter. You know, he does have an ability to take punches and and keep progressing, keep going for it. But he's just so young and raw that they haven't really done him any favors allowing him to compete at this level. So uh, I'm going to have to go with Steven Peterson. Um, again, fight goes the distance, and then Peterson, by decision, is plus 210. So uh, I, didn't, I didn't mind that as well
0: just doing a quick uh just just seeing where hooper actually did his training camp it seemed like uh, six weeks ago he was down there training with one boy thompson but then five weeks later he's back in his home state of uh, washington and he's uh training with jeff hoagland again who's pretty much brought him up right
1: yeah and you know something i'm pretty sure he has a girlfriend in his hometown like he's yes. dating some girl right and i i think you know and the kid's what 23 years old i think it's one of these things where he'll go away for a few weeks and train and then he, he comes home, right? His comfort zone's yeah. at home. He lives at home. His mom's probably co- home cooking his meals. And it's cool that he's made it to the UFC. But <laughs> Stephen Peterson's at Fortis every day, man. Like, come on. Like, Fortis <laughs> or, or mom's house. Like, come on, yeah. think about this, right? So I yeah. am worried. Uh, not only has he been off for a couple of years, he pulled out of two fights due to injuries. But he's still only 31. So I don't think Peter, Peterson's washed by any means. and He should get the victory here.
0: Shout out to former UFC fighter Jeff Hoagland. Uh, I don't even think yeah. he actually had, ended up capturing a, a win in the UFC, but at least he made it to the UFC. And for some people, that's enough. <laughs> All right, let's he, move on. to He, the...
1: he might have just fought once too, like you know, was how, it like, just most once? A, it might have just been the one fight, if I if I recall properly. But uh, yeah, I just want Jeff Hoagland.
0: Yeah, that that one was a kind of surprised because he doesn't look like a fighter, right? That was the funny part. Uh, he did fight twice. It looks like. He oh, fought, uh, fought Takei Mizugaki, lost by decision, and he lost another decision to Yves Joe Boy. So there we go. Yeah. Two fights in the UFC. Three yeah, fights the in the way, UFC. Not- he did beat some guy named Donnie Walker. Not Johnny Walker. Donnie oh, Walker.
1: Oh, he beat Donnie Walker? At
0: UFC 132.
1: Yeah. <laughs> My God. Didn't he fight him again? Yeah, yeah, that's whack. Yeah, that's a throwback, Jeff Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> the Ken right. Stones, Byron Bloodworth, and Ken Stone, those are US yeah. veterans people.
0: <laughs> Some of these guys are like, Who the fuck? Ooh. I know Byron <laughs> Bloodworth, like, I still can't get over that one <laughs> for sure. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh Matt Frivolo taking on short notice Terrence McKenny. Terrence McKenny just fought. Last Friday, less than a week ago, he fought where he was able to pick up a quick TKO victory over some LFA guy. It was a main event slot as well, too. Uh, Luckily for him, he's able to go out there and get the quick win and... Luckily for him, or, you know, unlucky for Frank Camacho, he ends up getting into a car accident, having to pull out all thoughts and prayers for uh, Frank Camacho. Seems like he's good. Last I saw, he was in a neck race or something. So hopefully it's nothing too serious where it'll de- uh, be a de- detriment to his fighting future. But terence McKinney, luckily for him, he gets the short notice call up here to take on Matt Favolo, who's just had an absolute litany of bullshit going on for him during this COVID era, right? Like he was supposed to fight oddman Azatar. Azatar pulls out, in steps Armin sarukin Talk about a change of opponent, poor. Matt Favola having to go from uh, one guy to the other. And then uh, a, a ton of other things. I'm pretty certain there's a, a couple of other spots where there's last-minute pullouts or fight day pullouts for Favola. For but now he gets another short-notice guy here in Terrence McKinney. uh, McKinney, uh I believe he, he used to wrestle in college. Uh, wild striker, kind of a banshee here in that first round. Uh, he's never gone to a decision, only ever been to a third round once in his career. Outside of that, he's either getting finishes or getting finished. Uh, the most notable losses on his record are his last two. One was against Sean Woodson on the Contender Series, losing via flying knee, and then after that goes out there and gets subbed by Derek Minner, who I which I believe Derek Minner ultimately ended up coming into the UFC right after that win. So the UFC has had their eye on McKinney for a little bit, and now it's finally played out for them to bring him into the UFC. And it feels like he's going to be an entertaining fighter, especially with the fact that he's never gone to a decision, and he's going to have a willing fu- uh, firefighter here with him, with Mr. Matt Fravola, who we know likes to trade in the pocket as well, likes to get a little bit crazy, brings in. Is grappling and resting every now and then but more often than not he's chucking some haymakers trying to uh, trying to knock you out Th- this is a tough fight for me to call i ultimately am going to go with the the matt favola side of things but minus is- well, he was minus 300 a little earlier he's actually minus 245 now so a ton of money coming on uh coming in on mr terence McKenney but i do like for vola here and the spot that i'm liking the most again very limited odds considering or props considering how short notice this is but uh, fight doesn't go to the decision minus 195 kind of chalky but kind of worth it <laughs> under two and a half minus 170 i like that as well i'll uh, ultimately will go out for vola probably inside the distance which is plus 115 his ko line will probably be around plus 180 or so but i think he's going to land the bigger heavier bombs here against McKinney and even though uh forvola did get knocked out by Polaris Reyes a couple fights ago I still think he's quite durable that was one of those like they found the right button at the right time and I don't know if McKinney will be able to find that here so uh, I will go with Favola again I think he has uh the advantage when it comes to MMA wrestling and I think he has the uh, advantage when it comes to technical striking whereas McKinney is a little bit more like i said a little bit more of a banshee where he's just coming forward at you and just trying to get you out of there uh and, and i think that's gonna he's gonna wane as he starts to hit for Vola and for Vola. It doesn't go down so i'm going for vola probably second or third round tko here how are you feeling about this one
1: i think you keep it simple you go with the fight does not go the distance at minus 155 but chalky but realistically like minus 155 not chalky like that's really not that bad does cover you on both sides. On one hand you got Terence McKinney, he is very dynamic, he's very explosive, he's got very big power. If he's going to win this fight, he could definitely catch Matt Vervo and knock him out. If he's going to lose this fight, he's going to die trying. That's kind of the knock on him. Like even that Sean Woodson fight, this guy just wrestles hard in the paint, man. He just goes, 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 and eventually he is fatiguing, and he does get sloppier, and he walks right into the flying knee. And it's a fight that he's dominating up until that point. But again, I mean, he's just pushing such a high-pressured pace. The Derek Manor fight, he's again, he's just bombed in on the takedown. He goes right into a triangle choke, like 59 seconds into the round. And then he rebounds with a couple of wins for LFA. Like you said, the most notable one last Friday, but he just walks in there and just blows right through these guys. So with Matt Frivola, is he chinny? I, I don't know. So you go back to the Polo race fight, he gets knocked down twice, eventually knocked out, minute flat. Not a great look for him, but hey, they all get caught. The subsequent fight against Lando Venata, he gets dropped twice in the first round, and he does look like he's chinny, but he survives. And when he survives, this guy just keeps coming at you, man. Like, he does not go away. And you know what? He's in the room every single day with Aljamain Sterling. He's in there every day with Mirob Devashvili, and it's just like he lives the grind. He very much lives the grind. you got to turn his lights off, or he's going to keep coming at you the entire time. And that's going to be a huge advantage for him here. I think McKinney... Again, McKinney's live to knock him out, but if McKinney doesn't, Frivola's going to take, take over down the stretch, second or third, and eventually put him away. So, I mean, my lean there would be Frivola, Frivola inside the distance. You might even be able to live bet this fight and get a better line on Frivola after the first round, because again, McKinney is very explosive and a great wrestler. So where is where is Frivola going to have his advantage? Well, his best advantage is his own wrestling and his grind, but taking down McKinney in the first round is going to be very difficult while he's fresh. Uh, as far as outstriking him goes, I mean, he's a little bit slow in plodding, likes to enter the pocket, Gonna be difficult to track him in the first round because i mean he, he he's a lot faster but yeah once he starts to fatigue once that short notice opportunity starts to kick in on him and he uh, and he's not able to avoid for vola for vola engages him but either way whoever wins i don't think this fight's going to decision so you know me i'm a decision guy love me some decisions i just i, I don't think this one's going to make it that far and that minus 155 i think that's a fair price tag
0: Uh, Minus 195 fight doesn't go to decision. But yeah, still, again, chalky, but definitely worth it, in my opinion, considering that both these guys. All right, getting finished or get the finish as well. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one here. We got Penny Kianzad going up against Alexis Davis. Um, and in terms of odds, we got minus 190 for Kianzad and plus 165 for Alexis Davis. Uh, kind of a similar fight to uh, Alexis Davis's last fight uh, where she was able to go up against Sabina Mazzo, take her down over and over again, control that fight and win the fight via decision. And now here she has another striker that she's going up against that seems to have a little bit of issues with takedown defense at times. We saw it perfectly in our last fight with Penny Kianzad and Sajar Eubanks, where Eubanks had a very successful first round lands a takedown has a ton of success on top but in the second two rounds she's fa- she fails to get the takedown and eats the jab of patty for pretty much 10 minutes and uh loses a decision there so patty gets her hand raised now how is patty kanzad gonna deal with a bigger fighter here in uh alexis davis who has pretty much the same game plan uh i, I could see it playing out similarly to the is eubanks fight i think that we'll see alexis davis have a little bit of success in this fight maybe one round where she gets a takedown and she controls it but then after that i think that her her her, you know she's too slow her her lack of striking ability um and, and then you know she she doesn't really have a great takedown defense game or takedown game i should say i think sabina Mazo's takedown defense is just not that great which is why alexis davis was able to capitalize on it so well uh but i do think that we'll see Panny kenzad uh light her up on the feet and and be successful which is sticking and moving sticking and moving stick that jab out there and, and, and be successful with it um Again, minus 190 though, am I willing to shell out that type of chalk on Penny Kianzad? Probably not. So how does she win? What's the best way for her to win? I'm saying decision, and I believe that is um, a minus number as well. Uh, Kianzad to win via decision is at minus 135. So like, I, again, for props, I always like getting at least a little bit of a plus number, especially in a spot like this. But ultimately speaking, you, you got to think that that's probably the most likely outcome in this spot. I think it cans stuff's takedowns for at least two rounds here, and then just lights up Alexis Davis from distance for the majority of that time. Uh, so I'm going Kianzad. Kianzad decision, minus 135 is my spot. How are you seeing this one?
1: Yeah, I'm going to agree. This is not a fight that I want a ton of investment in, but uh, I agree with you. I, I originally just want fight goes the distance because it's going to go the distance, but it's 3-1, to one, so now you have to take a certain lean. And I wouldn't have Penny as well. I mean, with Alexis Davis, I mean, she's very slow and plodding, doesn't move her head a ton, and she is there to get jabbed. I mean, you look at the Sabino Mazo fight, for as much as Alexis Davis did a lot right, she just got chipped away at, at distance with a jab over and over. I mean, she's a very hittable target, but she kept catching the kicks, converting the caught kicks into takedowns. And then when she was on the ground, she just ate away at her. Also, her leg kick game was working extremely well. So, I mean, how, how does she get the job done in this spot? Uh, she would have to use the leg kick again, hopefully go out there and, and slow down Panny Kianzad. Panny Kianzad more of a boxer, so she's a little bit heavy on that lead leg at times. Maybe the leg kick's there. The takedown, if the takedown's there, just like the Eubanks fight, you could use that. You could use the top control. You could have some success. I just don't think she's fast enough, and I don't think she's strong enough to muscle her down. The thing with Eubanks is she is a bit of a one round fighter, but in that one round, she is very, very strong for this division. I mean, she does have solid takedowns. So Pandy getting taken down there, surviving, and then getting up second and third round, that's when she gets the jab rolling. And I think that exact same jab, the way Mazzo used it, will be key here. The difference is Pandy doesn't throw the kicks. So if the kicks aren't getting caught, she's not going taken down, it's going to be the jab versus the leg kick. Now, Davis does throw a nasty leg kick. But I think over time that snappy jab of Kanzad is gonna is gonna add up. And Kanzad was kind of looking like a write-off, you know? She's on the ultimate fighter. Yeah. She loses to Macy Chase on, uh, things aren't going good. She loses her subsequent fight. And then all of a sudden it's like she's putting it all together. She's looking way more confident in there. She's looking way more comfortable in there. Cardio looked much improved in that last fight with Eubanks. So I agree with you. I mean, we agree that the fights go in the distance. Odds makers at three to one, they agree the fights go in the distance. So if you think Kanzad's gonna I uh, edge it out, you would take by decision now. her by decision is minus one thirty-five. You know, you'd you'd want a slightly better price, but I mean, beggars can't be choosers. So yeah, that would that would be the play on this one. However, again, I mean, so many fights this weekend. I'm really not trying to overforce any spot. This is the type of fight that like, like Alexis Davis has a way of like pulling one out. She was on a three fight losing streak last time out. She had no business going out there and beating Mazzo, the hype prospect who was a big favorite. But was like. Old dog still got one in her, but like now, now the old dog's taking a similar a fighter in a similar situation who's got all that experience. So she should pull a Mazo, so she should get the victory.
0: I will absolutely kick myself if Alexis Davis wins this fight, and I didn't back her this time around because I did last time. And uh, you know, I, I do. I don't think Joe will be a, be as successful this time around. All right, let's move on to the fight that I am easily most excited about on this card. We got Hakeem Dawadu going up against Movzar Evloev. We got minus two thirty on the Russian and plus one ninety on our fellow Canadian. This is a tough fight you know i love backing me some evil whenever i can get the chance whether it's parlaying him playing him by decision whatever it may be i'm a big evil fan and i think he has a very bright future inside the ufc however this is a very tough stylistic matchup for him now we've seen evil make strides in his striking uh game that's something that was probably the weakest of his coming into the ufc but we've definitely seen him improve that but hakeem Duarte will definitely have the advantage if this fight remains a striking battle and the clinch Hakeem Duwadu is a beast inside the clinch too, and that might give Evolve a little bit of issues too. But I think ultimately we'll see Evolve land takedowns and kind of just control and grind out the fight that way. I just don't think it's going to be as easy as a minus two thirty indicates, right? I, I think that the line is a little bit too wide here. Dawodu, I'm doing all my best to keep my bias in terms of my love for Evolve out of this, and my bias of you know Hakeem Dawodu being a Canadian representative and probably our best chance of you know a, a Canadian doing some big things inside the UFC so taking those biases out of it i still come out on the other side with evil being able to grind this fight out but it's going to be super super close i think it's going to be super tight i think both guys are hella durable so i can definitely see the overs hitting in this one and obviously they're chalky right now right over one and a half minus 465 over two and a half minus 265 and even fight goes decision is minus 240 as chalky as that is i think that's probably the best play in this card because i di- I doubt we see a finish from either side Hakeem. A little bit low output at times. uh, Not much power either, which doesn't really make me uh, worry too much if I'm an Eve backer, but it's more so if Eve is not able to get this fight to the ground, Hakeem Dawadu could have some success on the feet and get the you know, sway a couple judges on at least two of those rounds if this remains a striking battle. So uh, I am ultimately on the Ivloev side. I do think he pulls it off via decision, which is currently at even money at minus 110. But uh, it's hard for me to not think that uh, Duadu is, uh, is deserving of a little bit of a look, especially with his decision properly being plus 325. Uh, again, ultimately, I'll go on the Russian side of things. I'll be happy whoever gets their hand raised here. But uh, very, very tough fight, especially if you're looking to back the Chalky Ivloev. How are you feeling about this fight?
1: Yeah, again, I got mixed opinions about this fight. I think that Hakeem Dewadu at that line is definitely a live underdog. He's got the t- the type of takedown defense to stuff Evil-O has attempts, keep this fight standing. And you would think that he's a little bit more refined in the stand-up game. Evil-O has also been going on record in this fight being like, "I'll be able to easily outstrike Hakeem Dewadu. Oh, come on, yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> and it, it, it almost seems like it's an indication that he's willing to strike with Hakeem Dawodu, and uh, that's where I think Hakeem will have his best chance. I'll admit with you, um. I agree 100% in that that low output like it seems a little bit low output but but then you look at by the numbers and you see like the Kyle Bokniak fight and uh there there's certain times where it's like he lands a ton of combinations he's landing a ton of leg kicks he does have good volume but then when I watch him it does seem like he's a tad bit gun-shy at times when he came into the, uh, when he came into you know the UFC it was like this guy is going to be a serious problem he's got legitimate Muay Thai I mean he was basically one of the top strikers in Canada before uh Turning over to MMA. Take down defense has come a long way. You saw him in World Series of Fighting. They're matching him up with scary Russians and he's stuffing their take downs. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the guy's really coming a long way. He comes to the UFC and it's like, finally, Canada's got another guy. Another, I won't say George, but another Rory McDonald. You know, like another yeah. guy, another guy That's that a can good hang. Yeah, another guy that can hang. And then it's like Danny Henry. And not only does Danny Henry submit him, but Danny Henry rocked him right before <laughs> yeah. that, right into the guillotine show. It was like, the perfect, it was the perfect double thing. It was like, bang, bang. You're like, oh my God, I look like an yeah. idiot. And then to Hakim's credit, like since then, he's been fighting a much smarter game plan. And I, I think that's why you don't quite see the knockouts quite as much. That's why at times it seems like he's a little bit gunshot. Like the volume's not quite there. Like, I think he's just fighting a lot smarter. The last fight with uh, Zubair Hugov. I mean, Tohugov's got a very solid takedown game. Um, he's also a pretty solid striker as well. So, I thought he was going to give a lot of props to Hakeem Dawadu, especially because the fight was in Abu Dhabi, and like um, Habib Nurmagomedov like all week was doing like little press junkets over there. I really thought if he could just keep this fight close, the judges were going to give it to Tahuga. but that wasn't the case. I mean, Hakeem Dawadu did exactly what he needed to do, and he fought against a smart game plan. And so again, with Momzar Ivloev, like I think Ivloev is got the better um, output, which is something that I usually like to bet on, is the guy that I think is going to go out there and outwork his opponent. And he does have the wrestling that he can mix in. But part of me thinks that the kind of line that it's currently sitting at, the money line anyways, it, it, it's just it's, it's too wide out. Like, it doesn't factor in the Hakeem Diwali, who does have a world-class skill set and could theoretically give this guy problems. So um, I think my pick would be Evloev, but I almost feel like I, I, this is not... Yvlo has been a cash cow for all of us, right? Have you ever bet against him? No, of course not, right? Have I ever bet against him? No, of course not. N- nobody, nobody in their right mind has fate. Oh, actually, that's like some people took Grundy. Uh, some people were really high on Grundy in his wrestling, yeah. right? But like outside of that, like Yvlo has been a walk in the park and he kind of made it everything look like a walk in the park. He's basically won every single round he's been in outside of maybe the first against Grundy. And again, I mean, he, once he got out of that darts choke, uh, he, he just made him work the entire time. The guy's been flawless. I do not want to bet against this guy. And <clears throat> I think I'm going to ride him again here, but I, I just, I'm, I'm really recognizing that Hakeem Diwali's got the kind of skill set to, to make it a prop. As far as the prop goes, I will admit, it is chalky, but that fight goes the distance at 240 makes the most sense. Eve Love has proven to be more of a decision guy. He's got some wrestling, he's got some striking, but no big fight-ending power. And with Hakeem, I mean, he, he used to have fight-ending power. You know, he used to go out there and- Mike and, and Malott. Oh, Holy shit, man. what and, and I remember Malott took him down at the beginning of the round two. I'm like, oh, Mike, he's got it now. Like, Hakeem just explodes back to his feet. And it's like, oh, shit it's going kind of to sort of grab a little bit too. And once you're scanning with him, it's a problem. But now he uses mostly the jab and the leg kick, which are not really fight-ending moves. So, and, and, and that aside, I mean, Mavzar Evlove undefeated for a reason. He's got a hell of a gin on him, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I think fight goes the distance, minus 240. As far as both guys winning a decision, respectively, Evlove, let's say that's the case we go with, I think I'm going to go with Evlove. It's minus 110. You know? I, th- I think that's how you improve the current money line to an even money play is by taking them by decision. But again, Hakeem Duwadu, by decision, is plus 325. You know, tempting. It's all tempting to me. But I think the official pick will have to be of.
0: Just a quick uh kind of a heads up for the viewers. Mike Malott is one of the main tra- uh coaches that you'll see in uh the team alpha male corner season in- with Cody and and Uriah. Anytime somebody from-, from the Team Alpha male team is fighting, uh he's more often than not in their corner. And he's actually a Canadian guy, just uh just down the road from me and Cody, actually, not too far from us. And he had a very bright future in terms of being a very good prospect in the MMA scene, was doing big things. Obviously, he fought for our promotion as well. Substance cage combat, had a great performance in that one. And then when he went over to WSOF and fought Hakeem Dewadu. I'm sure Cody did this too. I went to all my boys. I'm like, you got to watch this guy. Watch Mike Malad, great striker, great jujitsu, great grappling, all that type of stuff. And then Hakeem Dewadu starches him in fucking, you know, a round. I think it only lasted a round, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And uh, yeah, that's where Hakeem Dewadu exploded onto the scene for me. That I'm like, okay. I, I take my back, take back what I said about Mike. I still believe he has a bright future. And he just made his comeback fight for Bellator, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a couple months ago. So at least he's trying to stay active and get back into the game. But I'd love to see Mike Malott flesh out to try to reach even, you know, 75% of what his potential used to be. Because that guy was probably going to be our next GSP, considering how good of a, a talent he seemed to be on the regional scene here. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. We got Lauren Murphy going up against Joanne Calderwood. In terms of odds, we got JoJo coming in at minus 140, plus 120 on Lauren Murphy uh i think me and you are both in the in the same realm here and thinking that this fight goes to decision at minus 335 but how did they actually match up uh s- skill for skill right i think that uh, initially actually i was actually leaning lauren murphy as i was kind of impressed with her recent resurgence per se right she changed up her camp she went down there to houston to start training with uh, uh i believe it's uh Derek Lewis's striking coach crew perez if i'm not mistaken crew eric yeah, perez. Bob, bob perez bob Perez. that's what it is uh and, and it looked like she was turning a leaf but then you really start to watch those fights like the andrea lee fight she's getting torched up in that fight up until the last 30 to 45 seconds of each round and she gets taken down right at the end and the judges ended up giving up to lauren murphy i thought it was a bit of a robbery i had money on andrea lee that night as well so that was a very unfortunate uh circumstance and then her next fight beats roxanne Matafari you know it is what it is and then her next fight she goes out there and beats short notice lilia shakarova at ufc 254 but uh, when you really watch the striking exchanges especially in the Andrew lee fight it seems like something that joanne calderwood should be able to replicate and hopefully be ready for any you know last minute takedowns uh at the end of the round so that she's able to at least take the the rest around and actually get that round scored for herself so i think that joanne calderwood will beat her on the feet i think she's the faster more crisper striker my only concern is if loren murphy who i believe will be the stronger woman in this fight if she's able to just kind of nullify everything that JoJo does by just pushing her up against the cage. We did see Jessica I have have a little bit of success in terms of, you know, nullifying the forward pressure and the striking game of JoJo by pushing her up against the cage, getting that clinch work on, maybe going for a couple takedowns. But I think that Lauren Murphy is actually stronger than uh, Jessica I. so she might be a little bit more successful in doing that type of or going with that type of approach for this fight. Ultimately, though, I think that JoJo, you know, she, we've pretty much seen her grow up in front of our eyes. I remember watching her fight for Super Fight League way back in the day. Uh, I, I think it was one of her first, like, two or three fights she fought way back in the day. And then eventually she got into the ultimate fighter. And then she ultimately starts making it into the UFC and, and you know, has a decent career for herself. But I do think that she goes out there and beats a, a veteran like Lauren Murphy by just outstriking her over the majority of 15 minutes. So spot that I'm liking the most, uh, Calderwood by decision. Uh, which is currently at uh, plus 115. I like that spot. Again, we're getting plus 20, which is always good. I'd be surprised if there's a finish either way here. I doubt Jojo knocks her out. Lauren Murphy is very durable, very tough. And I doubt Jojo submits her. I don't think that Jojo's game is up to that level yet. Uh, I think if there is a finish that comes, it's actually the Lauren Murphy side of things. I think if Lauren Murphy hits her or corks a, a crazy bomb like she's done in the past against Mara Romero Borello or even the way that she's able to finish Shakarova, that's probably the best way that we see a finish here. But I highly doubt that happens. And the line obviously indicates that. You know, the fight doesn't go to decision is currently sitting at uh my or plus 255 so that should just let you guys know what it is but plus 115 jojo by decision how are you feeling about this one
1: yeah again i agree with uh most of those points i think calderwood has been around for a long time she got a lot of experience and this is someone that used to be that european muay thai stylist you know primary striker and how do you defeat her you put that grind on her, but Man, ever since she switched, like, because originally she was at Dinky Ninjas in Scotland, right? And then from there, it's like she was date her uh, the head coach of the gym was her boyfriend. They lived together, So they split. And then she kind of like got shifted out of the gym. And She ends up at TriStar, and it's like something was missing. She's at TriStar. She put on some good performances, but you know there was there was equally a couple of moments there where it's like, eh, I don't know. I'm not fully sold on on her. And then she left, and she went to Syndicate MMA. And again, there are still those instances. Uh, I guess you could look at the Jennifer Maya fight where she engages the grappling and gets submitted by the armbar, but, I mean, I, I, for my money's worth, she's made a lot of improvements. since so she's got a syndicate. Most of the takedown defense, mostly in the grappling overall, and she's a lot more comfortable. One thing about her is she's 35 years old, so you nailed it, dude. That's why, that's why you're my guy, man, because very few people would be like, oh, dude, remember when she was on Super Fight League 3? Like James Thompson versus Bobby Lashley? My, <laughs> our boy Gary Mangot was on, on the car. Nope. culture Gill? fucking legend yep. Coulter Gill, mamba like, like who lost that <laughs> yeah black mamba dude that guy was legit yeah. he was one of those few canadians that could bang right he was a k1 yeah. guy he k-1, was fucking yeah. fighting in japan like highest level shit Coulter Gill, he was the man um yeah it was just like She's been around for a long time, but it, it wasn't until she got with Syndicate that she finally started to put her game together. And again, at 35, she is getting a little bit older, but I, start, I think that she's still got a lot to give, and it's really going to come down to matchmaking. I know that she wanted the title shot. If she wins this fight, she's probably in line for a title shot. I can see they're trying to fast-track her along because there's really no contenders for Valentina Shevchenko, and I don't think she would do great against Valentina Shevchenko. But she's right there. She just needs that marquee victory. Lauren Murphy's not what we would call a marquee victory. But because she's on a long winning streak of her own, yeah, the winner of this fight probably angles himself for a title fight, so yeah. uh, it's going to be ultra important for Joanne Calderwood to go ahead and get the job done. Laura Murphy's tough, man. She's tough, tough, tough. She's very difficult to put away. If anything, maybe you know Calderwood's a little bit less durable. But Laura Murphy going to knock her out. Laura Murphy going to submit her. Like. Could submit her, I guess. I guess that would be the move, you know, take her back and put her in a rear naked choke, but I just think that Calderwood's made enough advancement. So as far as go- looking at this one goes, I think fight goes the distance, but again, the tag is just way too big on it. So I'm going to have to settle on one of these fighters to win said decision, and I took Calderwood as well, plus 115. I think that she's going to have the striking advantage At range, she's going to have the volume. She's going to a much more precise striking, and then it really comes down to the takedowns. She's going to stuff these takedowns and work her way back up uh you and me both lost money on andrea lee versus uh, and 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 you know what like i i didn't i didn't agree with that as well i honestly really thought to myself laura murphy lost this fight andrea she outstrikes her she outstrikes her by like a a significant enough margin but she gives up a few takedowns here and there and i guess the judges are looking at those takedowns this is the same thing with Calderwood. calderwood should outstrike her by sizable enough margin but give up less takedowns spend less time off her back spend less time up against the cage that should be the difference maker. So uh, yeah, I'll go Calderwood. Calderwood by decision, plus one
0: fifteen. Rhino, Doug Marshall, Trevor Prangley, and even Zell Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah dude he was like the Croatian. he was the next coming of pro cop
0: (laughs) and even lena of chinikova who fights for bellator now but she's one of those hotties that came over that a lot of people are looking at that's who joanne would beat that night i believe it was her third pro mma fight whereas it was the The 10th or 11th For uh, for uh, for Lena there, but yeah, R.I.P. Super Fight League. I, I thought that was really going to take off over there in India. <laughs> all right, it turned going
1: to be like a Ponzi scheme. I think, yeah, right? About the end of the day,
0: like, it was just it was Bollywood like, stars. It was Bollywood stars investing in it, it and all Bollywood that shit, money. and then it was yeah it did not take off whatsoever i remember watching it and they would cut to the crowd in the middle of a round they were like oh look who's here i am like, there's a fight going on at least show it in like a a picture in picture they just turned the whole thing to the fucking crowd i'm like god you guys are horrible you don't know how mma works at all
1: you know what i never saw a guy with a modicum of talent uh from from the states or canada or anything go over there and and lose to the local guy (laughs)
0: except
1: Ever Vince Murdoch, right? Now, he claims one was a cut Oh, that stoppage, was a weird one. One was a low blow. One was a low blow. One was a cut stoppage. But when you rewatch the fights, he's like, he's not really that much better than them. And yeah. so when he was on contender seeds against Luis Saldana, I was like, auto fade. Auto and, fade. And uh, now know, I like doubt. he's on the ultimate fighter. And I can almost guarantee <laughs> auto fade. <laughs> I can almost guarantee it. So uh, Super Fight League was a great barometer test, man. Where are you sure. at?
0: Yeah. I remember the. I think they had Bob Sapp on their first card, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, it, fucking hilarious shit. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got uh, Eric Anders going up against Darren Stewart. This is actually the third rematch on the card that we have. Eric Anders, if you guys remember, he went to a no contest with Darren Stewart uh, a couple months ago. Um, illegal knee, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a week after the the Aljamain Sterling Pierre Dujon one. So it, even more heat on that one. Uh, I think it was more so the doctor. I'm not sure if you rewatched it recently, but the doctor seemed like super skeptical of like oh this guy looks tired and he doesn't look like he should be fighting or anything but like how, can you blame darren story he got rocked a bunch of times and the knee didn't look like it was the hardest but i'm sure he was gassed as well so every time the doctor would tell him like step forward he would step forward and listen to the doctor but then afterwards like a couple of seconds there you'd see him start to stumble backwards but cut the guy some slack he, he got rocked less than two minutes ago and uh, he's exhausted because he's throwing everything in his in his gas tank to try to fend off Eric Anders, who's trying to knock him out. But uh, I'm not one of those believers. That's like, okay, just because that happened in the first fight, it's going to happen again in the second fight, right? It could have easily has been darren stewart who lands that punch and eric anders who's on wobbly legs and darren stewart did land a really good combination at the beginning of that fight ultimately it was eric anders who was able to nullify the big striking uh combinations of darren stewart by pushing him up against the cage and then every now and then he would break off get his combinations off and one of those combinations landed clean enough to actually hurt darren stewart and uh uh you know and then ultimately start that finishing sequence where he ended that uh with that illegal knee uh this fight's actually at 205 pounds now. That's another caveat that's added here. So not much weight for to cut for either one of them. Uh, but but I ultimately will be switching my pick to Eric Anders. I do think that the extra weight is gonna help him. I think he's gonna be the stronger guy here. Uh obviously we're working over there at fight ready for this this now second camp of his uh, is definitely gonna help him out. this is a, a, a change that he needed in his career, I think. And then I think that those type of guys are the perfect uh set of coaches and training partners that he needs to change his game around. Like fight ready is one of those like budding training camps where it's not like a super gym yet like american top team or or um, uh, Sanford MMA or anything like that so they have the coaches have enough time to truly like dedicate to these guys individually watch the tape on their opponents and devise game plans to go out there and beat their opponents and I think that Eric Anders will benefit very well from them now especially from what we saw in the last fight again mixing up the clinch work with the with the combinations was absolutely beautiful especially with nullifying the the advantage of Darren Stewart which is the technical striking he's obviously the much better technical striker in this fight and he has some good power in his hands but they did a good job in terms of nullifying that again sucking that wind out of darren store by pushing him up against the cage draining his gas tank like that and then letting some combinations go to try to capitalize on that and they did it was just an unfortunate ending so i will go with anders here but i do think that we see this one extend a little bit more though i don't think we'll see either guy get as rocked as easily this time around and i'm actually going to be looking at uh maybe the overs here so we got uh over one and a half is minus 270 so they're already to that over two and a half minus 150 not too bad but ultimately anders via decision is probably the one that i'm going to be going with uh and that's currently sitting at plus 230 i think that's a solid line i think that's a solid spot i think we'll see the clinch work and the strength of anders payoff for him here and i'm ultimately going to go with anders uh to win this fight via decision how are you feeling about that
1: yeah dude i honestly feel the exact same way so you look at the last time around and the last time around Anders just more or less walks right through him <clears throat> hurts him badly and then gets at the no contest due to the illegal knee so now that they're running it back the quick assumption would be like well Anders is just going to walk right through him and hurt him again not throw the knee and put him away but but a couple things there first of all darren stewart did take all of his best shots i mean he took he basically the kitchen sink from eric andrews and then uh, eventually it was the knee that, that puts him away, but yeah, you're right, they're like, are you okay, are you okay, it's like, well, he's not okay, but it had nothing to do with the knee, it had everything to do with the barrage of shots that he's taken to this point, but the fight wasn't a short notice opportunity for him, but it, the fight came together late, and he was on record going into that fight being like, I didn't have a training camp for this, I was like, in the middle of nowhere, with basically no running water or no uh, electricity, uh, but I'm, I'm confident in my skill set, and it's like he looked flat, he looked slow, he did not look on point. Eric Andrews meanwhile spent the time at Fight Ready, first camp there. He looked sharp. He got the jump on him. That's what allowed him to beat him with the punch and start to hurt him. But yeah, uh, this fight getting played back, I think that it's probably going to be banked in for some more rounds. Darren Stewart's never been knocked out. He's never he's a guy that has a pretty good chin. In fact, Andrews is, was the guy that came the closest to doing it, but I'm not totally going to question his durability just yet. And, as far as Andrews goes, he's got great durability. Has he been knocked out? Yeah, all right. Tiago Santos beat him up pretty good. Khalil Roundtree beat him up pretty good. But it's like, this this guy, you got to absolutely beat him within an inch of his life in order to TKO him. Like, he just takes world-changing beatings and and keeps ticking, right? Now, the other thing that's interesting is you look at Darren Stewart, right? Darren Stewart's last fight over Eric Andrews didn't go particularly well, of course. Um, but prior to that, he had the fight uh, with Bartosz Fabinski. Remember, it was like, a Cage Warriors card yep. during the pandemic, but they allowed the UFC's one matchup to to be on it. Fair enough, right? So he takes that fight uh, over with Bartosz Fabinski, and he actually weighs in at 182.9, right? So why wh- why would someone weigh in at 182.9 unless they were walking around at 182.9? Because otherwise, like, well, why why would you why would you overcut? You can come in at 186. It's not a title fight, right? Why would you come in three pounds underweight? And like, In what world is that logical, right? So I, I don't know. I don't, what I'm getting at is I don't really think he's the biggest middleweight. I think he makes middleweight quite comfortably. And so him taking this fight at 205 is not really to his benefit, I don't think. Whereas you have Eric Anders. Eric Anders has actually already fought three times at light heavyweight in the UFC. This will be his fourth time out. He doesn't really look all that out of place as a light heavyweight. He's a big, strong, athletic guy. And I really do think that the move to fight ready has finally allowed him to kind of tap into some of that potential that a lot of people believed he had earlier on so uh, yeah i got eric Anders as well and i'm going to agree with the narrative that it probably banks in some rounds so the fight goes the distance is minus 130 that's tempting enough but the eric Anders by decision at plus 230 you know i suppose i suppose if i was going to put my sprinkle somewhere i'm kind of leaning towards that path
0: I like it. I like it. I just want to get this chapter over with, with Anders and Stewart. I feel like Anders, I want to see a little bit more from him, especially with the improvements that he's making from Fight Ready, and see if it can actually get him anywhere, especially at his natural weight class, which should be 185 pounds. So we'll see how this one plays out. All right. featured prelim time. Banger alert number two. We got Drew Dober going up against Mr. Brad Riddell. Uh, minus 145 on Dober and plus 125 on Quake Riddell. Uh, I think this is going to be a great fight. You nailed it. I believe, uh, at the beginning of the show where you're like, I highly doubt we're going to see a takedown from any side. But if we do, I think it actually ends ends up coming from the Dober side of things. He went through that weird phase where he's like striker, then grappler, then striker. Now it seems like he's getting very comfortable with the striking style that he's been able to implement. Obviously, last time around, coming up short against Islam Mahachev, but it's like mulligan you know, i mean let's just let's just let's just cut that one out pretty much everybody loses to that guy but dober was on a very serious run before that right beautiful knockout over alexander hernandez not to mention the one over nazar hack press he's a big underdog in that fight comes out and knocks him out very viciously but but i like what we see from dober i feel like he's going to be a little bit more effective especially when these guys are trading in the pocket and even though that brad rodell comes from a striking background a Muay Thai background i still believe that drew dober might have him uh, beat with his american kickboxing style i do think that he'll go out there and uh Uh, you know, outstrike Brad Riddell. I think that Riddell will struggle in terms of like the different looks that Drew Duper is going to be throwing at him. I wouldn't be surprised to see Dober, you know, teasing or feinting the takedown, changing levels to try to make Brad Riddell think about, uh, you know, the the potential of a takedown and then letting his strikes go after that. I'm not 100% sure if this is one of those fights that's actually going to go under either. Like the under two and a half, I believe the last time I checked it was plus 150. And it seems like one of those spots yeah, the under two and a half is plus 150. It seems like one of those spots that's almost like a trap where you have two really good strikers, two guys that are capable of knocking their opponents out, but they just go out there and have a very disciplined striking approach where one of them wins, you know, whether it's decisively or very closely, but it ultimately goes the full 15 minutes. This is one of those fights I expected to go the full 15 minutes, and I'm ultimately going to be leaning with the Dober side of things as I feel like he'll be able to establish the more dominant striking approach here, whether it's you know, I, I think Redoubt does have him slightly beat in terms of volume, but I think in terms of effective striking and more impactful striking, we should see it more so on the Dober side and the mix in the fact that we'll probably get Dober, you know, fainting the takedowns, going for clinch positions, trying to win an MMA fight and not just a striking fight. I think that's going to be on the Dober side of things. And I also feel like the the, the cardio advantage would be on the Dober side of things considering, you know, the Denver training camp and all that type of stuff fighting at altitude, all that I, I think that, or sorry, training at altitude, I should say. Uh, all in Dober's favor. Um, how do you feel about this matchup? Uh, and uh, do you think that the underdog, the City kickboxing product, will be able to reverse the fortunes uh, of their guys? Because they've been on a little bit of a rough, rough stretch, including, obviously, the uh, the loss to, from Israel Adesanya a couple months ago to, to Jan Blachowicz. Uh, I believe Kaikar France lost. Uh, actually, he'd just be Algeria Bontorin. But it doesn't seem like City kickboxing is really fleshing out the way that people uh, expected them to. Do you think Brad Riddell, uh turns that fortune for them?
1: Yeah, shout out to Carlos Ulberg. Oh my god, god. What the fuck! Uh, it, it's, yeah, I would I would agree. It's been a rough stretch for them for sure. I mean, we know they're great strikers, but the other elements of the MMA game is kind of wearing them down. And that's Brad Riddell's thing, right? He's had to deal with the fact that nobody really wants to stand with them; they're always trying to take him down. And that, for that reason, I really don't think we've seen the best version of Brad Riddell quite yet. You go back to the Jamie Malarkey fight; he gets taken down three times. Malarkey's obviously looking to clinch up with him. Brad Riddell does. A great job again like you mentioned volume that's that's the best fight for him in terms of volume but he's got slick combinations he's a he's a he's a skilled practitioner and think about how many great kickboxers and strikers are coming out of city kickboxing and yet you know you, it's Eugene Barrowman and it, and it's him it's Brad Riddell he's the kickboxing coach over there so he is at a high level he has competed internationally as far as the striking goes solid but you have Malarkey takes him down you've got Magomed Mustafaev takes him down eight times and you've got Alex de Silva takes him down three times All those guys are always mixing in the takedowns, but Brad Riddell, spending a lot of time in the takedown defense, spending a lot of time in the getup game. When he is standing, he's universally beating these guys in the exchanges, and I I think he's operating at a high level. I like Dober, I really do. I think Dober's reinvented himself, came to the UFC, and he was a little bit, you know, mid-level at best, but my God, like you mentioned, training at elevation, training in Colorado, beating in the same room with guys like Justin Gaethje day in and day out, he has really made a lot of improvements to his overall game. And, again, he always had that American Muay Thai uh, style. You know, this is a guy that is primarily a striker. But he's got a cast-iron chin. You see now that thing's shaped? How do you knock him out? Like, I don't think it's even possible. <laughs> but as a result, man, he stands toe-to-toe with you, and he's got big, big power. He'll be able to take anything Riddell throws. R- is also a bit of more of a decision guy himself. So I know for sure that if Riddell's winning this fight, he's going to have to pack a lunch with him because it's going to hard 15, and he- it's going to be tough the entire way. But, yeah, I honestly do kind of go with the volume. I- I think if it's going to be a close fight. It's going to the scorecards. I'm leaning towards the dog or pass situation. Close, competitive, slight volume edge towards Brad Riddell. You just don't know what the judges are looking at. The more eye-catching shots might go towards Dober, but I think Brad Riddell will land more of them. And whereas Dober fights a lot of guys that aren't exactly defensively sound, I think Brad Riddell is. So if he's able to, you know, avoid those big shots for the most part, um, you know, hopefully he's able to pull it into his zone. So. You know that Israel Adesanya's put in a full camp at the highest level. He's excited. They've brought in, you know, the best, the best of everything that they can to prepare him for this world title fight. Brad Riddell is playing the featured prelim role. He's a three and zero in the UFC. He's only getting better. He's really coming to his own. This is a huge spot for him. I, I hope he's in a position to capitalize, and I, I think he'd be able to pull it out. But. Um, the biggest thing that I keep going to is the fact that, again, he's more of a decision guy. This thing's going to decisions. So looking at the line, uh, the fight goes a distance at minus 150. I like it. You know, if someone's getting knocked out, it would be Riddell. Like I think Dober does have some pretty big power. Just ask uh, my boy Nazareth Hakparos. But like Brad Riddell again, like he's defensively sound enough. He has a very solid chin. I think he's going to be all right and roll with it. As far as him landing his best shots on Dober, Dober Dober's got a cast iron jaw. He's going to be able to take it. Neither guy poses a submission threat to the other man. This thing's going the distance. It's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be you know at some points you're going to think how's he still standing, but he will keep standing. And uh, at minus 150, fight goes the distance. But beyond that, yeah, we've got a Brad Riddell by decision at plus 260. This is going to be a fun fight. It's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to go Riddell's way, and by decision, at plus 260, I'm willing to take a shot, so I'm taking that for a play this week.
0: All right, we're split here it seems But it should be a fun fight regardless That brings us to our main card Which kicks off with the light heavyweight Barn burner, I believe we're going to be getting here Between Paul Craig and Jamal Hill One that I'm very much excited for They've been jibber-jabbering at each other Ever since they're scheduled to fight each other back in March Obviously you guys have been seeing some of the clips Circulating that they've been, you know, having Some exchanges while they've been at uh, uh, Throughout fight week, you know, going through the Fighter Hotel and all that type of stuff So I'm expecting some fireworks here, but luckily for Jamal Hill He's a striker in this fight, and every MMA matchup starts up in the striking room. And I think that's where Jamal Hill will be able to keep it until Paul Craig is staring up at the lights, knocked the fuck out. So I do think that Jamal Hill will actually get the win here via KO. Minus 125, we're expecting it to be a minus number considering how likely of an outcome it is. And that's what we've seen from Paul Craig in the past, right? He struggles against guys that are quite good strikers, right? At least strikers that have some solid uh, power in their hands. The last loss that he has on his record to a guy with said knockout power, Alonzo Menafield. And we've seen how Menafield's career has been shaken out ever since that fight. Uh, the Kennedy and Zetsuku fight. Close close fight for Zetsuku to get the win, but it showcases that you need to get Paul Craig out of there. Otherwise, he's always going to be live, just as he was in that fight against Magomed Alkalive, pulling off that late submission victory way back in uh, March of 2018. But since then, he's gone uh, four two and one two of those fights coming to mauricio shogun who were one of them went to a draw and then the last one he actually made my favorite fighter of all time tap to strikes in the second round not a good look for shogun who at this point in time but he is 38 years old so i kind of understand but i think that jamal hill slowly growing in front of our eyes he just turned 30 uh this year um i was one of the guys guys that was actually kind of downplaying the potential that jamal hill has up until the point that he went out there and dusted glitz and abreu because that was a very impressive performance especially finishing him with the body shot the way that he did and then that osp performance pitch perfect performance getting osp out of there in the second round Paul Craig, on the other hand, like I said, finishing uh, Marisa Shogun who last time around and then murad Gadsmurad, Gads-Murad Antigulov before that. But we're not even going to rank yeah, Antigulov wins anymore because we know what Antigulov brings to the table. Uh I do like I said, I do think this fight stays vertical until uh Paul Craig finds himself knocked out. I think Jamal Hill is very skilled. I think he's strong enough to be able to keep this fight on the feet. Uh, I don't believe in Paul Craig's takedowns. It's more so just a a desperation dash to get the fight to the ground and if he's not able to more often not he's either going to pull guard or you know he's going to get his face smashed in and i expect i expect that exactly to happen here with jamal hill uh having the massive striking advantage over paul craig so i'm going to go jamal hill ko minus 125 if you want a slightly better line i don't think this fight lasts long at all so jamal hill inside round one uh is currently sitting at plus 200 not too bad of a line Plus 400 for round two. I'd even be surprised if he gets to round two, to be honest. Under one and a half is plus 100. Those are all spots that I like, but Jamal Hill, KO, minus 125. Jamal Hill, round one, plus 200. That's what I'm going to be riding with. How are you feeling about this one?
1: Yeah, dude, I honestly feel like you're taking a lot of the thoughts clean out of my head, man. We're definitely <laughs> on the same page. Clearly yeah. not about Brad Rudell versus Drew Dober, but yeah, on this one for sure. I mean, Jamal Hill looks like a legitimate prospect. When he came to the UFC, he was just so young still, like young in the fact that he had like five pro fights when he came on the Contender Series with one notable victory over Daquan Townsend and quite literally nothing else. You know, he's from the Michigan regional scene; he was a bit of an unknown. But you see him against Alexander Popek on, on Contender Series, it's like, oh, this this guy's coming along. Good striking, southpaw, six foot four with a seventy nine inch reach. That's gonna pose a lot of guys problems, and that's what he does. So the ufc and it's been the same thing i mean you stand you stand up with them he's going to have a serious problem for you the clinton and Brave fight's impressive because first and foremost look at like a uh, darko Stosic fight he gives up six takedowns in that fight his takedown defense does not look good but one Stosic is a big boy he currently fights at 240 in uh, poland looks pretty good but uh but in that fight it's when he does get taken down he gets back up the clinton and Brave fight clinton could have also taken him down but before clinton can even get going Jamal hill just sparks right through him now the ufc thinks enough of this guy to give him a fight with St former world title challenger guy with a name in the division fought the who's who's of everybody and uh for the first time ever osp actually did miss weight in that fight so probably an indication that osp's best days are behind him plus there was a rumor floating around he had an injury but that's neither here nor there jabaha hill just cuts right through him he had his way osp had absolutely nothing for him so in this fight again it's like you're not going to want to stand up with him paul craig's definitely going to want to force the issue take the fight to the ground. He does have opportunistic wrestling, and that he's willing to go in there and shoot that single leg. He's willing to clinch out with you and try to peel you to the ground, but he's just not strong enough to physically do it. If he was to get Hill down, I think Hill's getting back up. And if he fails to get Hill down, he's getting knocked out. So, yeah, you look at Paul Craig's current resurgence, and it's like Vinicius Moreira. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Shogun twice. One of them was a draw, by the way, because he lost two rounds, but got a 10 8. Like, what? Yeah. And uh, Gazmorod into Gulov where he gets taken down and then throws up a triangle choke. But like that's not a really good four fight winning streak, man. that's that's not looking good as far as I'm concerned. I think Hill keeps his fight standing, Hill puts it on him he'll knocks him out. you know all the lines you mentioned are the all the same ones I had, uh, which would be um, Hill by TKO, which is minus 120 and then uh, Hill by Craig with the under one and a half was a hundred. What did you say Hill straight up in round one was 200. 200. That actually probably makes more, yeah, that probably makes a little more sense than the one and a half, but I thought at the very least, if Paul Craig just shot spam takedowns in that first round, he might last the first round, but in the second round, he's going to start getting tired from the spam takedowns, and he's getting knocked out. So maybe he gets out of that first, but still hits the under one and a half. Regardless, I think the safe move is just Hill by TKO. He can take him out whenever he wants. Eventually just hope to take him out at some point within the fifteen minutes and out. 125 price tag it seems to make a lot of sense to me
0: seems to me that hill might be one of your top ticket parlay pieces for this week am i wrong
1: yeah no he's definitely a top ticket guy uh this card is difficult when you look at who are your two locks of the entire card right because it's a very very difficult card and i know we're about to talk about leon edwards in a bit but i would say that (laughs) Jamal hill and leon edwards are the cornerstone of uh of the entire ticket and one thing I noticed from, let's say, this PFL card, for example, like, I don't, I didn't, oh, by the way, Nathan Schultz just squeaked it out, so this is not even going to be a good example, but, like, <laughs> three, three, I know, this is a bad example, clearly, but like, Nathan Schultz was a, was a minus 335 favorite, right, eh. but Nathan Schultz by decision was plus 105, it's like, yeah. well, obviously, if he wins this fight, he's going to win a decision, right, so you got to sometimes improve the own line yourself. Same thing with Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is a minus 600 favorite <laughs> over uh, Nate Diaz. But again, I mean, if history is an indication, Leon Edwards is the decision guy. Nate Diaz is just day one durable bitch. And so, again, if you look at it from that regard, you can get Leon Edwards by decision at uh, plus 165. Like That's how you turn a 6-to-1 price tag into a nice little moderate plus money price tag you got to hit that prop. And that's why you and I do a prop show, my friend, because exactly. sometimes that's <laughs> the smartest way of attacking it, right? And sure. I, 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 I would say this is one with Hill as well, is that you could probably attack from the TKO side of things, but at the very least he's going to be a parlay material with Edwards, who I'm probably going to have to try to improve his uh, his line as well
0: wouldn't be doing my job correctly if I did not at least throw out there Paul Craig to win by decision plus five or by submission I should say plus five hundred five decent uh, submission prop considering that's probably his best path best path to victory I'd be surprised if this fight even goes the full um fifteen minutes to begin with but yeah go ahead
1: humor sh- sh- me really quick what's the jo- what's uh what's the third round submission prop because we've seen this, <laughs> we've seen him do it before right we've seen him do it a couple times Craig
0: hard. Craig wins by submission round three plus two thousand.
1: Oh, is that it? Eh? Well, the bookie knows too. The bookie's <laughs> like, the bookie's like, well, if he is gonna win, it's gonna be a third-round submission. Okay, fair enough.
0: <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next fight. Uh, Cody was talking about Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. We do have one more fight before then, which is between Damien Mayan, Bilal Muhammad. Some heavy chalk here on Bilal Muhammad. He's coming in at minus two twenty-five, plus one eighty-five is the return on Damien And Let me just throw this out for you guys. I don't think we've seen Bilal Muhammad fight a black belt or a jiu-jitsu player to this level at all in the UFC. Like he's been pretty much been fighting guys that are strikers that mainly want to strike with him. Not really, you know, mix up anything else too much. You know, Diego Lima, I believe he's a black belt, but you know, it's not Damian Maya type black belt. And that's one thing that we know we're going to get from Damian Maya, even at his spry age of 43, I believe he's at at this point. Um, he can still go out there and twist a motherfucker in knots if he needs to. And I think that's definitely something that he could do here against Bilal Muhammad. Now, I am ultimately for the second week in a row going to be picking a 40 plus year old Brazilian to win his fight. It hasn't worked out for me last time. It didn't work out for me on the Ray card either, but I still do think that Damian Maya Damian presents some issues here that Bilal Mohamed might not have you know, again, he's obviously training his ass off, probably stayed in the gi for this entire training camp just so that he can round out his jujitsu game, but uh, it's still a different beast when you go in there and fight a guy like Damian Maya. Damian Maya is a big 170 year. Let's not forget he used to fight at 185 pounds. He's going to have Bilal Muhammad uh, beat by about two inches in height or three inches in height, as well as a couple of inches in terms of reach. But all he needs to do is just latch onto you. You know, what I mean, push you up against the cage, get a clinch position going, maybe drag you to the ground, get a get a you know, pull guard or something like that, jump on the back like he did against Lyman Good. Get you in a position where he's skin to skin with you so that he can actually get his jiu-jitsu game going. And that's something that I think he can do here in terms of corralling Bilal Muhammad up against the cage and then get that jujitsu game going. Bilal, you know, not much of a knockout threat, uh, you know, decent all around striker. I've always called him like the ja- uh, jack of all trades in MMA. He's not the greatest at one thing, but he's good at everything good movement, good cardio, good striking, decent wrestling, decent jujitsu. But he's never fought a guy like Damian Mayo who's going to push him in that realm. Uh, so I'm not really scared about Damian Maya getting knocked out in this fight. I don't think he's going to bring a Gilbert Burns type of power uh, from Bilal Muhammad. I don't think that Bilal Muhammad will, you know, be athletically that much more better than him. Obviously, athletically, he's going to be better than him, but not to the point where it's going to look like Lyman good against Damian Maya, right? In terms of uh, aesthetically of what Bilal Muhammad is going to be able to do inside the cage. But I do think that we'll see at a certain point, at least once in two rounds, uh, Damian Maya grab uh, Bala Muhammad drag him to the ground and put it into his world and I think that he could even pull off a submission in this fight I believe the submission prop on Damian Maya is something absurd considering his prowess plus 405 for Damian Maya to win by submission that's probably something that I'll throw a little bit of a sprinkle on in terms of, you know, going lock of the night deep or something on Damian Maya, definitely not. You do have to acknowledge that he's forty three years old, 42, 43 years old. Um, and, and he is starting to slow down. His cardio is a little bit of a worry too. Bilal Muhammad will definitely have him beaten that aspect if this fight reaches deep waters. But it, I, I just have this gut feeling that we're going to see Damian Maya latch onto Bilal Muhammad, and Bilal's going to have a ton of trouble getting rid of him. Damian Maya's grip strength is very, very good, next level. And again, big dude, big, imposing dude. That's something that a lot of people overlook whenever Damian Maya fights down there at 170 pounds. He made a living for himself at 185, maybe even got himself a title shot against Anderson Silva in a very underwhelming fight way back at UFC 112. But still he still gets the job done when he's able to get uh, his on hand, his hands on his opponents and they're not uh Gilbert Burns, right? Gilbert Burns obviously was in the 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 jaws of defeat and then eventually gets himself out of there um uh and then knocks out Damian Maya but I'd be surprised if Bilal Muhammad survives more than 10 minutes on the ground with uh with um Damian Maya here without getting submitted. So I'm going Damian Maya. I'm gonna go submission plus four oh five Probably first or second round, I think he gets it done. But I, I think this line is way too wide. I, I think it's personally way too wide. How are you feeling about this one?
1: Yeah, I got fight goes the distance is the best prop that I liked on this. One. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I mean, sitting at sitting at minus one fifty again. I think it covers you both sides. Blah Muhammad is by large a decision guy. He doesn't really have the knockout power. Doesn't really have a refined submission game. Uh, when he beats guys, he just grinds them down. He grinds when he beats them a submission, or he beats a, he wins by decision. So if he's gonna Blah Muhammad's gonna win this fight, he's winning a decision. If Damien Mines is going to win this fight, he's got the vaunted submission game. But again, I mean, he's coming up on his 44th birthday. He's been around for a long time. At some point, he starts to maybe play more of the position before submission game. And uh, yeah, if he's on your back, he can rear naked choke you. But I, I do see him probably getting this fight to the ground and looking to control it more than anything. I just have a feeling it's going the distance. At minus 150, I think it's a pretty fair price tag. But <clears throat> dude, so you brought up a point. I guess I didn't really think about this. The whole uh, Blah Muhammad has never really fought a BJJ black belt, right? So... Am I wrong? No, no, but get this, right? He's also never fought a wrestler. Like, never once. Like quite literally, his fights are Leon Edwards, striker, Diago Lima, Muay Thai striker, Lyman Good, no, big brawling bruiser, Takashi Sato, Japanese bruiser, Curtis Millender, worst wrestler you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Neal is uh is is pretty pretty one-dimensional boxer for the most part. Chance Ryan Counter is a jiu-jitsu guy, but but not a good one, like you're mentioning. Tim Means is a long rangy striker. Jordan Means is a long rangy striker. Randy Brown is a long rangy striker. Vicente Luque is a tight, compact Muay Thai stylist. Augusto Montana is a boxer from Mexico. Alan Joe is a pretty boy striker, right? Uh, Steve Carlisle, or Steve Carl technically could wrestle a little bit. He was one of the former team captains at ATT, but like that's a Titan FC fight five years ago. So his entire run in the UFC, not once has he ever taken on a guy with decent wrestling. And never once has he taken on a guy with, jiu jitsu, so I can't actually tell you if he's going to stuff these takedowns. He's been taken down twice in his UFC career. Once was by Jordan Mean, and I didn't really consider it much of a takedown. The second one was against Takashi Sato at the end of the second round, and his fight was Sato. And dude, he got taken down, and he couldn't get back up against Sato for it was like 45 seconds in the round. Yeah, think, but all the same, it's like if damian May is on top of you, he's going to give you a problem. And what it really comes down to is can can Blah Muhammad stuff the takedowns consistently? And because I haven't really seen anybody force that type of game plan on I just don't know. I don't really want to bet on Cause, Dude, I had Trinaldo last week too. So yeah. I, do, I, do I really want to bet on another mid-40-year-old Brazilian? Maybe not. But I will give you one thing. Trinaldo gave his best effort. I can't fault oh, him yeah. for that. I can't fault him for that. He looked in excellent shape. Dude, if I was in his shape as a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old, yeah. you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't even own shirts. Shirts? What are you talking about? I'm shirtless all the time. This guy shredded up, and he gave a full fledged effort. It just, it's just you know, a step slow. That's it. Man that night. Yeah. Yeah. So so again, if Damian Maya isn't quite what he used to be, that's okay because Damian Maya is used to fighting the best guys on the planet, not Bilal Muhammad. Bilal, Ma- there's a reason why Bilal Muhammad keeps fighting Diego Lima, Lyman Good. Okay, realistically, right? Randy Brown outside of the top fifteen, although he's he's probably the best chance to actually have potential. But Jordan mm-hmm. means cut. Tim Means is outside of the top fifteen. Chase Rand counters cut. Curtis Millen is out, is cut. Kashi Sato's cut. Lyman Good, I don't even know what Lyman Good's up to. Diego Lima, I think he's still clinging on to a job, but he's certainly out of the top 20. He's uh, fighting Matt and Brown then, next. Yeah, and then for the first time, they give him Leon Edwards. For the first time, it's like, okay, he's finally got an actual fight. Well, actually, that's a lie. His losses are to good guys, Jeff Neal and Vincente Luque and Alan Joban. But every time he steps up, he loses. Meanwhile, with Damian Maia, like, dude's fighting Colby. Dude's fighting yeah. Usman. Dude's fighting Jordan Mazdal. Like, he only fights the best guys in the world. Like, Bilal Muhammad is not competing at that level. However. The one opponent that never loses is Father Time, and Father Time will get Damian Maia eventually. Uh, Reason why, Gilbert Burns knocks him out, but he hadn't been knocked out since the Nate Marquardt fight, right? That was 11 years ago. You know, he walks into that straight punch from Nate Marquardt. That was crazy. Yeah, he totally reshaped his striking game after that, and and it has made a lot of strides into his striking game. But the fact that Burns knocks him out, you know, hey, it's MMA, it's going to happen eventually, but maybe it is a sign that his best days are behind him. However, the saving grace there is that he took Gilbert Burns down, and that's what you want to see here. You take he him Burns down? Good chance he takes down Blal Muhammad as well. And if that's the case, he's going to have some success. So, I agree, live underdog. However, I think the the best course of action for myself personally is just, the fight goes the distance. Minus 150, covered on both sides.
0: Uh, in terms of a pick, though, you on Blal or, or Maya?
1: You know what, I kind of had Maya on Dogger Pass just because I, I think there's a lot of dogs this week, and I think if you spam a couple Agreed. of them, you're going to come out on the on the positive side of things, but uh, watching Bilal Muhammad, like he does have a really good gas tank, and he's a good pressure guy. What it really comes down to is the takedown defense, and it's just a gray area. It's an assumption. If you're betting Damian May, you're assuming Bilal Muhammad doesn't have takedown defense. If you're betting Bilal Muhammad, you're assuming that he does. It's an assumption on either side. So, you know, at that price, why not go? Why not go for the underdog? But, you know, again, I did, I did take Trinaldo last week, and I suppose I should have learned a lesson out of it. So. I don't know tomorrow or tomorrow's only Friday, so I still got a day to make an official pick for it on Twitter. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take all of that day, my friend, because <laughs> like like many things, I try to get as much info as you can. Watch the weigh-ins. What kind of what what does Maya look like on the scale? He has been off for a little while, yeah. right? Like Good there's, point. there's there's still some things to factor in. Once we've got all that info, we'll uh, we'll lock it in. It's still up in the air, but as of right now, I'm kind of leaning towards i guess i'm kind of leaning towards Blah muhammad just because of the age i don't know i'm I'm all over on this fight clearly <laughs> you're on you're you're gonna go damian maya yeah yeah and i don't think that's a bad pick either dude, but uh
0: the only yeah. thing i'll have my money on is maya by submission though plus 405 i gotta take a stab at that
1: yeah no listen it's a big plus money price tag I, i'm yeah. gonna go the coward's way and take the safe route just take the minus 150 <laughs> fight goes the distance this way i'm gonna go and just slow bankroll build but uh if Maya was to go out there and get a submission it'd be it'd be big for sure
0: cut to Cody in about three hours still trying to mold this fucking one over pulling his hair out and and stomping on his hat and shit all right let's move on to the first five round fight that we got on the night and this is the first this is the first ever non-title fight non-main event five rounder that the UFC's done I hope this is something that they do in the future for other co-main events that have a lot of uh you know things you know kind of hanging in the wings for that fight like number one contender fights or something like that they need to do this more often for co-main events events so you got leon edwards coming in at minus 600 against nate diaz plus 450 a great moment at the press conference earlier i'm not sure if you saw it nate diaz sparking up a spliff or a blunt and trying to pass it over to brandon moreno or marvin vittorian both guys just turning it down but he's just puffing away while sitting there on the stand at the press conference nate diaz doing nate diaz shit. not to mention a couple of days ago post on instagram he's taking shrooms on fight week that's Nate Diaz. That is the type of Nate Diaz that we're be- going to begin. So last time we saw Nate Diaz, he went out there and he lost to Jorge Masvidal. UFC 254 in November of 2019 has been sitting on the sidelines since. And it seems like he was able to come to terms with the UFC in terms of fighting Leon Edwards. But on his terms, which I believe is why this is a five-round fight, there's no way Leon Edwards called up the UFC. He's like, hey, I want a five-round fight if I'm fighting Nate Diaz. That's not happening. UFC is going to be like, oh, fuck yourself. Now Nate Diaz gets his five-round thing, which is, you know, theoretically, it probably favors him because I do expect him to have the cardio advantage in this fight. But cardio advantage means nothing when you're getting absolutely lit up for the first three and a half to four rounds, which I expect to uh, happen here with Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards, like you're saying, at minus 600, I definitely think he's a elbow piece. Like you said, I think that him and Hill are probably one of the safest pieces on this card, and they should go out there and do their thing. Leon Edwards, from the outside, looking in, if you haven't really been watching him fight as of late, most people will think he's just a striker. But watch his fights, man. He mixes in the takedowns when he needs them. He has good top control. He has decent jujitsu. jitsu um, You know, I-, I think he's a great all-around fighter. He's going to be the slightly bigger fighter in this matchup as well, which I think will come into play, especially when he wants to take this fight to the ground. And a lot of people might be like, why would Leon Edwards want to take Black Belt and uh, Nate Diaz uh, down over and over again? But when you watch Nate Diaz off of his back in recent memory, he hasn't been looking the greatest, right? He's not hitting reversals or hitting triangle chokes off of his back like he used to. And it seems like it's almost to his detriment because he feels a little bit too comfortable off of his back. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Too
1: comfortable are you dying yeah it's i think nate diaz is, diaz is trying to get to yeah, me dude, I just he's got to do what online- are you saying bro he's a mind triangle <laughs> yeah. uh we'll but yeah I turn. think Pellegrino. <laughs> <laughs> <Fuck> you <laughs> uh,
0: yeah no I think I think uh Leon Cruz is here man I, I just don't see how Nate wins like I'm trying to put myself in the in the mind frame of uh Nate's coaches but first I'd have to get baked as fuck to get to, to reach that level but first and foremost I think that the best way to win this fight is off of volume right try to outbox Leon Edwards try to out volume him try to you know push him into deep waters in the fourth and fifth round, where you're the the one in his face, not letting him breathe, not letting him get his game going. But then I just revert to Leon Edwards has that great takedown game where if he needs to, it bails him out. It could get him to the ground. It could get Nate Diaz fighting off of his back and throwing up meaningless submissions and not getting anything from those points. And that's where I think that Leon Edwards starts to pull away in this fight. I see a lot of people, you know, throwing out the take of Leon Edwards by KO, you know, Dr. Stoppage. More often than not, you know, Leon Edwards likes to use his elbows. He'll cut up and slash up his opponents. And we know Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, something that they're famous for the scar tissue that they have on their face so they open up a little bit easier and there might be the doctor stoppage like we saw last time around with uh the Jorge Masvidal fight but like i i don't want to get married to that narrative i just think that Nate Diaz is still very durable I think it's kind of up to the doctor's discretion on which doctor specifically looks at these cuts and determines whether it's, it should be going on or not. And not to mention that UFC 244 card happened in New York. We know New York is still trying to figure their shit out when it comes to MMA and, and you know, having their doctors educated on these types of things. So once he saw that cut, the guy's like, this is done. We don't need to see this anymore. Whereas a Vegas doctor might be like, oh, he's still okay. You know, We know the significance of this fight. Let's let it keep going which leads me to believe that we'll see Leon Edwards just grind this fight out. Uh, I think he's going to get at least two rounds in the bag off of grinding Nate Diaz out by taking him down, uh, landing some good shots from on top, keeping him down control time, and then another two rounds with at least striking, outstriking him and getting his game going that way. So I do like Leon Edwards here. I do like Leon by decision, uh, which is currently sitting at uh, Edwards by decision plus 165. I don't mind that number. If you want to play this fight, Trey, I think that's the way to do it. I'd be surprised if there's a finish either way here, to be honest. Diaz Durabo is out. The last time we saw him get knocked out by a legitimate strike was Josh Thompson. Close to what, eight years ago? Seven years ago? It's been a long time since we saw him got knocked out. And then Leon Edwards, obviously only one loss on his career, I believe it was that, to uh, Kamar Usman. Got grinded out in that fight. Yeah, I like Edwards here. Completely understand why he's minus 600. Probably deserves to be even higher than that, but it's the Nate Diaz fandom and the love that continues to bring that number down to hover at that plus 450. So I'm going Edwards plus 165 view decision. How are you seeing this one?
1: Hey, let's not forget about that time Claudio Silva beat Leon Edwards. What was going on there? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, two, then, two losses. I apologize. Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, since then, he's really reinvented himself. I think Leon Edwards is one of the best guys of the division, unfortunately doesn't seem to have a brash personality, doesn't really seem to have some fight-ending special move, and people just don't really seem to get behind him. But as far as his skill goes, dude, I really like what he brings to the table. He's got excellent punch selection, strike selection, good ring IQ, good cardio, good pace, good volume, takedown defense. I mean, outside of Kamara Usman, tossing him around, uh, he fits in pretty well. Just nobody really wants to fight him. The few times he does get a good step up in competition, I thought he's gone out there and he's looked uh, pretty good for the most part. Yeah, you can point out to little mistakes here and there. Let's say the third round against Gunnar Nelson and stuff like that. But I, I think he is progressing. It's just that you'd like to see him stay active. And because nobody wants to fight him, it's hard to stay active. It's hard to get that experience. It's hard to get that grind. And <clears throat> he goes out there and says, you know what? I'll fight Chemayev. Nobody's saying that. Nobody wants to fight Chemayev. In fact, everybody says the same thing. Like, well, uh. Let him beat a ranked guy first. It's like, well, you're a ranked guy. Why does not he fight you? And they're like, oh, I mean, yeah, let him beat somebody ranked first. Nobody wants to fight this guy. But Edwards, nobody wants to fight him. So he's like, I'll do it. So they book it. it gets canceled. So Edwards is like, I'll do it again. Okay. Booked a second time. Canceled. Third time. Edwards in. Booked. Canceled. Now the UFC's like, dude, you know what? We're really sorry. We're sorry that you've had three straight fights fall through, that we kept insisting on this matchup, that we kept booking it, that we can't even find someone to fight. We're sorry. We'll give you the Nate Diaz treatment, which is just like half of the opponent that Chemayev is, and uh, three times the name. Everybody knows who Nate Diaz is. He fought Conor McGregor twice. He still stands to probably get a trilogy match. He's one of the most recognizable characters in the game. Him and his brother, they're personal fan favorites. And yet with all of the reputation and all that, that aura that they have surrounding them. Uh, neither guy is operating at a world-class level anymore. Like Nick was the better of the two brothers, in my personal opinion. And Nick just had shit go his way, but he also had an unwillingness or like a a willing, uh, unwillingness. I guess he didn't want to learn how to wrestle, did not want to learn how to wrestle. And as a result, he lost pretty much all of his pro fights, excited the Conduit robbery from the takedown defense. It's like, he just did not want to learn it with Nate. It's like Nate has a little bit of judo in his game. Uh, when he takes on powerhouse wrestlers, again he's going to get dumped. He's not going to be in elite lead at that level, but he stuck with it at least. Like Nick vanished, Nate stuck with it. Nate was not doing good. He missed weight against Rafael Losanos and then proceeded to get smashed up. It was kind of seeming like he had one foot out the door, and then uh, he beats on what Michael Johnson, grabs the mic, says, "Conor McGregor, you stealing everything I work for? I'm going to fight your ass." And then Rafael Sanyos breaks his foot and he does get the fight, and that quite literally changed the trajectory of his life. Now he's one of these I'll smoke a dude at the press conference and be like I ain't fighting for anything less than million dollars. It's like <laughs> where do you get off on this dude? What have you actually done? But he has the win over Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor quite literally gave him red penny life because yeah. his career his career was not going particularly well until he scored that monumental upset and then uh, and then since then every fight he's had has been a money fight. He Gets a lot of money fights now because he has the reputation. But leon edwards stands to steal that shine and that's what they need they need to uh, find a way to market leon edwards to the average person they haven't been able to figure it out yet and then whenever nate diaz would do exactly that this is supposed to be a competitive fight and yet it's a six to one play on leon edwards and nobody's disagreeing with the line so i'm gonna have to agree now uh, the point you make an excellent point about the 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 cut stoppage potential you know nate diaz does open a lot leon edwards does have some nasty elbows inside the clinch it's his five rounds but again, I mean, are we in the business of betting on cut stoppages? Like, it is a rarity. It depends who the judge is, or the, who the ref is. It depends who the commission is. It depends how the flow of the, the, the fight is. If it's a close fight, they don't stop it on cuts. If it's a 3 nothing route, a 4 nothing route, you ain't making a comeback. A little bit more. All those things are factoring in. But yeah, I, I can't bank on a cut stoppage. What I have to bank on is that Leon Edwards, just like he often does, go through the motions, you know, and outpoint this guy for a decision victory. Plus 165 Edwards by decision. Want to take that and then use Leon Edwards as a parlay material for Jamal Hill. That'll be the basis of our top ticket this week.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen as much like I've never seen a fight week where people are just hammering on a KO prop, hoping that there's going to be a cut stoppage. I had somebody even on my earlier stream saying, "I wish I could bet on doctor stoppage." And I'm like, have you, how long have you been watching MMA? Because Dr. Stoppage is pretty much KO. (laughs) That's the KO prop. But uh, whatever, it is what it is. Uh, We're both going Edwards decision. Is that correct? Yeah, 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 definitely. Perfect. All right uh co event time second five rounder of the card we got davidson figueredo going up against brandon moreno for the second time like i said they did fight back at uh, ufc 256 in ja- uh, december if you guys remember the circumstances leading up to that fight they both fought at ufc 255 which was headlined by figueredo where he was able to go out there and g- guillotine choke alex Perez relatively quickly in their fight and on the same card brandon uh moreno goes out there and wins tko uh, via injury against uh mr brandon Royval with uh it was uh, Roy Val's shoulder that actually popped out dislocated and they stopped the fight so luckily for both of them they come out relatively unscathed in their fights and they're able to take uh the short notice uh fight uh to to headline the the following pay-per-view i still can't remember which fight was actually supposed to headline ufc 256 but it falls out in steps davison and moreno and they delivered to us one of the fights of the year amazing back and forth fight a lot of high intensity moments we get a point taken away from davison in the second or Sorry, the third round due to a uh, low blow. Uh, I thought that was a little bit too quick of a trigger to take away a point. And if that had not happened... Out. who knows if we even get this rematch here you get davison figueredo winning that fight 48 47 on most cards if that point doesn't get taken away but close fight probably the closest we've ever seen somebody uh, to defeat figueredo uh, other than uh juicier who's the only other person to beat uh davison but great great game plan for moreno right uh great job staying in uh figueredo's face when he's able to landing a couple takedowns stealing at least two rounds there But that Davison, Davison, like, stalker fight approach is so tough to deal with, especially with the amount of power that man possesses in his hands and his kicks as well. Uh, He's pretty much a, a cat when it comes to being uh, taken down, he's right back to his feet. There were some moments of success for Moreno in terms of holding down Figueiredo in that fourth round, but then we saw figueredo respond with a very strong fifth round, where it seemed like the output and the activity did seem to wane for Moreno, and Figueiredo was able to take advantage of that, ultimately coming out with a draw. But I do like what we see from figueredo still now both guys are going to get full training camps compared to the abbreviated training camps they were forced to take uh leading up to their first fight so i'm expecting to see a better version of both fighters however i do think that it's going to be Davison that still comes out with his hand raised I'm seeing some people taking the plus 200 shot on Davison to win inside the distance i think that's that that's a tough look given that moreno is a very durable opponent i think if it does come it will probably be a figurado club and sub but i still do not have too much uh, confidence in that spot the spot that i'm looking at the most are the overs you know this uh, i'm taking the cody approach here as i do think that this fight does go the full uh 25 minutes over one and a half minus 250 over two and a half minus 150. Sorry, minus 250, minus 150, over three and a half, minus 115, over four and a half, plus 110. And fight goes to decision at plus 110. Uh, fight goes to decision plus 110 is probably the best spot in my opinion. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's Davidson that's going to get his hand raised as well. Uh, Figueiredo by decision plus 300. I like that number a lot. I expect him to land the bigger bombs, the more impactful shots, cage control, you know, setting the pace for the majority of the fight. And uh, I think that Moreno's durability will come through for him. But unfortunately, I don't think that Moreno will get his hand raised. I'm going Figueiredo. How are you seeing this one?
1: Uh, I mean, such a good fight the last time around. You know, the big ticket that I hit the last time was the fight goes the distance because Figueiredo is just an absolute wrecking machine. Everybody he's fought for the most part, I mean, he just plows right through them and he has this run. Where you know he, he beats out he beats Perez he, he's getting the guillotine chokes he has knocks out uh, Joseph Benavides both times and it's like oh man no one's gonna be able to survive a distance the distance with this guy but Brandon Moreno is just super super durable he's one of these guys that has an excellent chin he's got great cardio I mean he's always when he was training in the states he was at Colorado at elevation and when he's training in Mexico he's in Mexico City which is actually higher uh, elevation than Colorado so. He's got great, um, good cardio. He's still a young guy. He's still improving. He's still making those improvements. So I really thought that even if Figueredo wins the fight, I really thought Brendan Moreno would be able to last rounds and I'd be able to hit a plus money decision prop. And that's exactly what we got. However, what a sweat the entire time because Crazy. he had to put that Mexican chin on display. And boy, oh boy, did Figueredo absolutely gun him. And you know what? I mean, he also head kicked Figueredo. He, he also stunned Figueredo a little bit himself, but and my god the power coming out of Figu is just uh, is unreal the thing is is that Moreno did a really good job in that fight so the reason why it's a draw is because of the point deduction but the reason why there's a point deduction is because Davidson Figueredo is a cheater i mean he <laughs> cheats in the majority of his fights but this yeah. one's no different he <laughs> grabs the cage he eye pokes him and he kicks him in the groin it's the perfect trifecta and he loses a point but he's fatiguing the first two rounds he looks pretty good commentators got it split 1-1 a piece going into the third uh, judges got it Two of them got it two nothing Figueroa. One of them again has it one one. But it was competitive in those early portions. Is that I got the sense that Figueroa was beating him. Third round is Figgy's best round. You know he absolutely beats him up, but he loses the point. And then fourth and fifth he's tired. And that's kind of the one knock on him is that he's the biggest flyweight you've ever seen in your life, and that making that one hundred twenty five pound limit has been very tough on him. He actually missed weight in a UFC title fight against Joseph Benavides the first time. Who misses weight in a title fight? It became a non title affair because he missed weight. That's why the rematch had to go on. It's like, he, you should be the champion. You just knocked the guy out. And yet we can't present you with the title, so run it back. Now he does make the weight. He has been making weight. But there's no doubt about it that he's a big guy. He's also 32 years old. He's not getting any younger. Making weight is not going to get any easier. And every time you drop down one of these big weight cuts, it does wreak havoc on the body. So going into the fourth and fifth round, I almost feel like maybe it was the weight cut. Maybe it's that he doesn't usually have to go into those rounds. Maybe it's sad it's because he throws so much power into everything he does. But he, he gets tired, and that's what allows Brandon Moreno to kind of, ta- kind of take over. Moreno also had a lot of success with the wrestling. The thing is is that once he would get the fight to the ground, he just had no ability to hold Figueredo down. So Figueredo would just use his feet, push off the hips, stand back up, and it kind of nullifies that the, the wrestling that Moreno did. Later in the fight, he would have more success with the takedowns, more success with top control because, again, you got Figueredo tiring. So now that you run it back, I think you've got Brandon Moreno has seen all of Figueredo's best punches. He's felt all of his best punches. He's seen it all before, but he's also got that growing self-confidence of, I've been 25 minutes with you. I know I can handle all of your heat. I know I can take you down, and I know I can hurt you back. His jab was money that last fight, because the way Figueredo fights both of his hands so low coming forward with you, almost borderline reckless, that uh, that 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 jab is there to lay it, and Moreno does an excellent job. He just needs to make slight adjustments, and he could be competitive again. But I mean, I, I, I guess I'm leaning towards Brandon Moreno. My pick is going to be Brandon Moreno. I know a lot of people are Figueroa. I know that's not the popular opinion. I'm gonna take a lot of heat on it. And if Figueroa goes out there and ices them, I'm gonna take a tremendous amount of heat on it. But I gotta go with how my gut instinct feels on it. But again, if we're in the business of keeping this safe, not how I feel, not how I feel personally, it's not how you know somebody else feels personally. It's about what what what's the best prompt, what's the best prop approach, what's the safest way to go that way. I think you go with those overs. Take that over three and a half and that bike goes the distance. So Again, uh, another position where I'm agreeing with you. I know you're taking Figueredo. I might be taking Moreno. But regardless, we're on the same page that this thing's banking rounds. And regardless who wins, you know we should be able to hit that 3.5 ticket and that fight was the distance at plus 110.
0: Figueredo was a minus 320 favorite the first time they were scheduled to fight each other. Now he's only minus 210 with money coming in on Moreno over the last little while. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it actually you know, close at a much closer line concerning how much success Moreno actually had in that first round. So I don't think you'll take that much heat for picking Moreno here, but I do think that it's a close fight. Uh, Yeah, But I do believe that we're both on the nail here with uh, the fight going to a decision at plus 110. I think that's a little bit of a steal. All right. That brings us to our main event do want to remind you guys if you guys are in the chat please do hit that like hit that subscribe and then obviously go check out Cody's channel as well CJ MMA the link is in the description below click that link and then click subscribe and then while you're at it after this stream is done go check out his Bellator 260 preview which he dropped earlier today and get ready for the fights tomorrow all right main event time Israel Adesanya going up against Marvin Vittori this is a rematch of a fight that took place a couple years ago I just want to get the actual correct date here it was actually uh, April of 2018 so we're coming up just over three years since the last time they fought and not only was it the last time they fought it was the same arena that they fought and it was a fight night last time around this time it's a pay-per-view but given all these COVID 19 protocols they have to go into smaller uh venues and smaller locations and they end up at the gila river resort once again which is just hilarious how it ends up playing out that way but still very competitive fight here last time around we had israel adesani as a minus 245 favorite right now he's sitting at minus 255 and i wouldn't be surprised if that line continues to close as fight week rolls on uh I'm not sure if you've caught the press conference. It seemed like Marvin Vittori was getting very much heated as he always does. What else is new, right? <clears throat> but I- I'm hoping that he can go out there and showcase some sort of patience and discipline once he steps inside the cage because he has a really good shot of, the- of going out there and uh, toppling the middleweight king in Israel Adesanya. Ultimately, I'm going to be going with the underdog here, in Marvin Vittori, and I do think that he can take his grapple-heavy approach and be successful with it in, in uh, against Israel Adesanya. Now, before the Blachovic fight, a lot of people were like, oh, Izzy can't get taken down and take down defense is really great. And when he gets taken down, he's right back to his feet. And that was one of those believers. But we kind of just move past that third round of the vettori fight where vettori obviously down two rounds gets that takedown in the third round and you know makes a very good case for himself to have a solid round uh there obviously got his uh you know the 10-9 in that round but lost because he lost the first two rounds um but I think he will be successful enough in terms of taking what Adesanya dishes to him in those first two rounds and then landing takedowns later that this fight goes a la Jan Blahovic. Now, Blahovic, obviously a 205er, a much bigger fighter and stronger fighter than Israel Adesanya, but good Lord, is Marvin Vittori big and strong, much bigger and stronger than he used to be when they fought three years ago. Shout out to whoever his, uh, his nutritionist is because they're doing some good work with him. But I do think that Vittori will have the advantage advantage in terms of being the stronger guy, which will allow him in part to take this fight to the ground. Um, the the one thing that Adesanya does very well and gets his opponents to to fear is his feints, right? That's something that Vlahovic was biting on very hard. Marvin Vittori was biting on very hard earlier in their fights. But then as the fights start to wear on, they started to not give a fuck about it as much. They started getting their own combinations off. And then they started closing their distance and started dragging the fight to the ground. Luckily for Jan Vlahovic, he still had another two more rounds to go compared to Marvin Vittori, who only had the third round. That's it. Now he has an extra two rounds to go out there and implement a similar game plan that he did in the first fight, try to replicate what Jan Blachowicz did, and I think he'll be successful in doing so. I think Vittori is very durable. He can take a punch. As long as Zadisani doesn't go out there and uh, chase a game plan similar to what he did against Paulo Costa, which was beat up that calf, debilitate the forward movement and the power that's going to be coming his way, he should go out there and you know light up a Vittori with the, with that calf kick and then let his hands go after that. But I think that Vittori is going to be prepared for that, you know, training under Hafial Cordero. Not to mention the last time that he fought Mahisania, that I believe that was his first full camp at Kings MMA. Now he's had several training camps, comfortable, cozy and cushy over there with a Cordero. And I think that's gonna be a big part for him to go out there and be comfortable fighting know uh in the us where he lives now where he's training full-time and then obviously being on the win streak that he's currently on all the motivation to go out there and um land the takedowns and grind this fight out so i'm going vittori i'm going vittori by decision i do see this one ranking up rounds i i don't see a finish coming from either side i'd be very surprised if there's a finish on either side as both guys are quite durable so vittori by decision is currently sitting at plus 405, give me some of that, because that's what I like. I think Vittori grinds this one out, and being the bigger, stronger guy. I don't know what your take is on this. Are you on the Vittori side, or are you on the Israel Adesanya side?
1: Yeah, I got more Vittori as well, honestly. I oh, think that, shit. Yeah, I think okay. there's going to be, at the very least, one and new. I don't think Figueredo and Izzy are both going to go retain, and I know that they're the most popular guys. I mean, everybody I see, I don't want to say casual. I hate the word casual, just it gets so thrown out so much, but just like uh, the 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 average fight fan loves Israel Adesanya. They know Figueroa. They're both champions. They're both recognizable. They're both guys that you know uh, have a good reputation within the company. They're exciting fighters. They naturally get the the gravitational pull, and the line kind of suggests a reflection of that. The last time Vittori fought him, it was close, and that it was it should have been a split decision, but he still won that third round. He uses wrestling and. The thing that people forget is that Marvin Vittori was 24 years old when he fought him the first time. It was a 28-year-old versus a 24-year-old. So yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's like there's a lot of room for progression. He was also training out of Italy and had just made it stateside, as you mentioned. Has made a lot of improvements since then. Since he fought Israel Adesanya the last time, he's fought in 17 rounds in the UFC. He's lost one round. And that was a round he voluntarily took off against Jack Hermanson. the third round, I'm pretty sure. It's like he, he's looked near flawless. He's made improvements everywhere, and I think uh, you mentioned the King King's uh, MMA Halfel Cordero connection. I think that's an excellent thing because Hafael Cordero is a man genius. I think we can all agree with that. Halfel Cordero takes a welterweight. Okay, he takes a welterweight who's ballooned up to 185 pounds. Is five foot nine, and is no world is going to outstrike Israa Dasanya named Calvin Gastelum, and Fakman like stretches him to the end, going into the fifth round. It's two two. You know, hurts him with a head kick of all things. Like, Rafael Cordero's made a game plan for this man before. He knows how to pressure him, and he's an excellent striking coach. So I think he'll have Vittori. Vittori's not going to go there necessarily outstrike his or Adesanya. It's just be smart enough, mind your P's and Q's long enough to stay safe, and then he's got to shoot those takedowns. Now, Vittori wasn't a guy that would wrestle a whole lot. You know, maybe shoot one, two takedowns at the very most. Can he wrestle? Maybe, but not something that he was using a whole lot. Now, going into the Kevin Holland fight, I was very adamant. He's going to wrestle, he can wrestle, he knows that's the easiest path to victory against Kevin Olin, he'll take it. People disagreed, but he goes out there and he shoots 9 takedowns. As a result, he doesn't land any significant strikes for the most part, It's pretty low output in that regard, but he does a rinse and repeat with the wrestling. So you see him in the Hermansen fight, land like 160 significant strikes, and in the very next fight, you know, just goes balls to the walls with the 9 takedowns, it's like he, he is versatile, he is well rounded, and it all depends on what's the winning game plan. So how do you beat Israel Adesanya? Well, Striking him is not going to be your best path to victory. You can strike with him, just like Yawn did, just like Kelvin Gaslam did, but for the most part, he's just too fluid as a, as a counter puncher, too long and rangy. But what Marvin does well is that he backs guys up. You know, he comes through the pocket, he's hittable, but he's got a great chin on him. He'll have to take a punch to give a punch, but it's all about closing that gap, getting this guy against the cage, and hopefully peeling him to the ground. Now, Again, you're going to be in the same boat as me. We're going to take a lot of flack on the Vittori pick. It's just what it is. Israel Adesanya is a fan favorite, and uh, you know he's he's got a pretty rapid fan base. The biggest thing though is, if you don't feel comfortable on either side, Adesanya or on Marvin Vittori, yeah, and we're hitting these overs. We're hitting the over two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. and fight goes the distance. So two and a half is chalky. Obviously, it's minus two twenty. The three and a half is minus one sixty. The four and a half is, is minus one thirty five, and the fight goes the distance is minus one thirty. So again, when you look at Israel Adesanya. He's extremely durable, right? Who has finished him in the UFC? Effectively, a nobody. Uh, Jan Blachowicz is the light heavyweight champion. Izzy weighs on the scale at 200 pounds. He doesn't even show up at 205. You know, it still goes five rounds with Jan. And Jan's actually not traditionally a power puncher, but boy, oh boy, that guy's power's been translating lately. Uh, As far as his kickboxing career goes, I mean, yeah. I mean, he gets knocked out by Alex Pereira, one of the greatest kickboxers to walk the planet in a very long time. You know, it's no shame. His durability is not a question. Marvin Vittori's durability is, again, not a question. And Izzy tends to get a little bit gun-shy from time to time. You see it in the Yul Romero fight where it's like you you respect your opponent, you wait a little bit. Marvin's quite the opposite. I mean, he, he just keeps coming at you the whole time. That will play towards Israel Adesanya's favor. He wants guys being aggressive. He wants guys trying to march him down. That's what's going to allow him to open up into striking. So, again, if this stays as a striker versus a striker battle, is he's going to get it it's that ability to mix up the wrestling and regardless mixing up they're all all mixing up wrestling does is is it it just slows down the clock or kills the clock right if you could knock out kevin holland from a ground and pound position or you know get anything real go really going it's going to be tough against izzy as well he's not going to be complete fish out of water yawn's a much better black belt yawn's a much better grappler yawn's way heavier on top holy shit tyler diamond just survived a decision my god sorry man if i kept looking down like no fuck no he didn't okay, win nice. but 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 yeah but i had luke came by decision again i tried to in impl- improve the 325. they should they could have stopped it in the second dude he got absolutely thrashed i kept looking down like why do i do this to myself why why didn't i just bet it straight out and he's parlayed anyways like why why yeah. do i chase this stupid fucking decision after i just finished telling you earlier in the show like sometimes you got to improve the price <laughs> i was like why do i take my own advice and yeah. uh holy shit, dude he's got hard anyways regardless uh, heart is the key and heart will get you rounds and rounds as you can tell I'm, a, I'm a over better um, yeah I think when you got two guys that are durable they've been in there with each other it's world-class fighting five rounds to work with now the guy's gonna be you know uh, overly anxious to go out there and get the job done too fast I think we're gonna bank some rounds Marvin seems like he's just frothing at the mouth and he's a crazy person and you know, he's gonna want to engage but ultimately once you get in there and you start exchanging punches with the guy uh, you know, you figure out pretty quick that you need to respect him.
0: Yeah, it seems like they were really going at it at the press conference as well. Both guys very well. I'd say Marvin more than anything. That guy just has his case of roid rage, if anything. But hopefully he's able to channel it inside that cage and keep his calm because he's going to definitely need to be very disciplined against a martial artist like Israel Adesanya. But I'm glad that we're both on the same side here. Marvin Vittori thinking that he has a shot to go out there and topple the middleweight king in Israel Adesanya. So we should get at least one and new this weekend. Uh, Plus four or five for Vittori decision me like you. that's that's the prop that you're on as well right
1: yes yeah i got uh victory by decision and i got those over two three four and five fight, fight goes the distance
0: beautiful all right let's move along into our three best prop bets for the card i will say this i do not have the cast for tomorrow's uh ultimate wayne show finalized yet i do have two guys ready to go one just dropped out on me last minute so i'm going to be scrounging to get that last fo- spot filled in time for tomorrow's ultimate wayne show once again that goes down at 9 p.m eastern tomorrow night we'll be going over the card one last time to give you guys our best bets and thoughts not to mention but we finally got the weigh-ins in mind and we'll see how everybody looks on the scales And if that pushes us in one direction or the other. So once again, 9 p.m. Eastern tomorrow night, the ultimate way in show. All right, let's get into the three best prop bets. Excuse me. First and foremost, I got... Jake Collier. You know how to do a Jake Collier via decision plus 330. Really like that spot. I think he can go out there, outpace and outvolume Carlos Philippe, who in my opinion, just has a knockout puncher's chance to win this fight. I think pretty much everybody in is, is in agreement that he deserved to lose the fight against Justin Taffa last time around, but I don't think that Collier will make it that close that the judges will get it wrong this time. So I'm going Jake Collier via decision plus 330. Next up, I got uh, uh, Jamal Hill, KO at minus 125. I think this is one of the best spots on the card. I know it's not a plus money prop like you guys are used to seeing from me, but it's hard to uh, look past this one because I do think that Hill gets this fight done pretty easily. And lastly... Got to go with Marvin Vittori via decision, like I just said, plus 405. I think that's a very good line. I see this fight going the full distance. Uh, I think both guys are quite durable, but I think it's going to be the grapple-heavy approach from Marvin Vittori. He might not be successful with it in all five rounds, but I think he'll be able to at least squeak out three of those rounds with the grapple-heavy approach, and that's all we're going to need to cash that plus 405 ticket. Uh, Cody, you're up next, my brother.
1: Yeah, well, it's so nice. We got to say it twice. Hill by K. Hill, minus 125. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude. Southpaw, okay, he's this 6'4, 79 inch south Southpaw stance. That in itself is going to give a lot of people a lot of problems. And Paul Craig is going to be one of those guys. So uh, it feels good when we both agree on the same page. And the biggest thing for me, again, I'm a decision kind of guy. So when I'm taking a TKO prop, I really think this guy's icing nice him. And I think he'll be able to go get the job done. Minus 125 sounds good to me. We got to get a little plus money here going. We're going to go with plus 105. Uh, Peterson versus Hooper fight goes the distance. Again, I actually really like this one. Peterson is more of a decision guy on a regular night, and Hooper is kind of falling into the decision category too. He does have that sneaky submission game, but he's not submitting Peterson for my money. Peterson, black belt. And uh, I just don't think that either guy's got really the stopping part to knock each other out. So I, I, I suppose, I mean, the play is Peterson. I suppose Hooper could pull it off, but in either scenario, the guy's winning by decision. So that fight goes the distance at plus 25, me like uh, this third one which is again why I love doing the show with you. You got me rethinking it. However, 260 <laughs> 260 is a nice enough price tag. If I was going to replace it, I would replace it with Leon Edwards by decision at plus 165. I think that that's a good plus money play that uh, again, you you see how I always set it up. It's always like the the minus 125, the slight plus money, the banger. <laughs> I guess I could make that banger the Leon Edwards 165, but again, I got it Riddell 260 sit uh, by decision. I'm going to sit with my guns on this one is an excellent striker. Riddell's an excellent striker. This is going to be an excellent fight. I just think that the lines are a tad bit off. Riddell more of a decision guy. If he can squeak this one by decision at plus 260, I'd be extremely happy with that. And I do think it's a live possibility. So we're going to go with Hill the KO, Pearson Hooper by fight goes the distance, and Riddell by decision plus 260
0: there you have it our three best prop bets for ufc 263 i believe cody went two of three last time around mm-hmm. i went to o of three a couple of them that were looking damn close but uh none of them actually cash out hopefully at least the hill VKO comes through this time because i am very confident in that not to mention cody seems quite confident in as well too so i'm very happy about I, that I've go ahead
1: hit, i've hit a couple two of threes this year and i've hit a couple uh two of twos because the third fight gets canceled yeah, or like seven, that's happened a lot. <laughs> and so and so we, we uh last week we hit we get the woodson by decision which was plus 130 we're going, yeah. or two, I, I'm going to are two i'm gonna go three and three for the first time baby that first <laughs> round nothing was happening sakai so versus rosenstruck i was like i'm getting this over three and a half for sure and then like the very first punch that rosenstruck lands his whole go face boom. blew up Uh, that's the fight game. That's why I love it. But uh, yeah, what's the saying? Two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) And I agree with that. I'll take those two out of threes. It's more uh, than half, right? (laughs) Yeah, listen, if there's, there's, there's 50 weeks, there's 52 weeks in a year, right? And there's a card every single week. So we're going to have 52 spots, 52 weeks worth of spots. It's all about that, like, slow build, slow build. If we, if we could hit two out of three every single week, we'd be laughing, right? Uh, Absolutely. But what I love about your strategy is you don't actually have to hit two out of three because you, you hit these like six to one, seven to one, you know, like if you can get a Mano Mario second round TKO at eight to one, well, you theoretically, you don't even have to hit a ticket for the next two three, three weeks. Exactly. So uh, I think the balance <laughs> between us on the slow grind on the slow grind and, uh, and you hit these banger, but tickets fucking it's been a good balance, man. So love doing the show with you, brother. Always a pleasure
0: it's hilarious because my like official betting style is slow and steady like your prop betting style but then when it comes to props i just go balls to the wall and try to cash these big ticket plays
1: <laughs> i'm the same way with the tweets man like i just don't yeah. so i don't have the time to be like listen guys you want to put uh, you're excellent at it. it'd be like you want to put a two unit bet on this you want to put a three unit bet on this there's that's two fights for the entire card if i was to tweet that out my whole my messages my dms my comments are like well, what do you think about this fight Who yeah. you got in this fight they, they want to know They they always want to know the entire fight. They want to know the entire parlay. I think that's what makes it intriguing. And a lot of people go to the bar. They got twenty bucks in their pocket. They want to bet the fights. If I was like yo, I can guarantee you one hundred percent. I could turn that your twenty dollars into sixteen bucks. Like no one would be like okay. But if I was like yeah dude, we could throw the twenty bucks on this parlay and maybe win five hundred. Yeah
0: everybody's in they're in <laughs>
1: yeah. so sometimes it makes me look bad sometimes i'll have people message me and be like man i can't believe you got those ones wrong it's like you don't understand the structure of the play yeah. you don't understand that your top guys are your most confident that's your actual play the more it trickles down the more it's, a, it's more of a lottery ticket you're having fun with it and you want a slight investment in all the fights and you have a slight investment in all the fights because to some extent they're in your parlays, right so all the same, just like this PFL, you know, I have a PFL, Bellator, and uh, UFC parlay. So you're just hoping to get through the PFL, so you have a little extra interest on the Bellator, so you have a little extra interest <laughs> for the UFC, right? It's all part of it. The smart play is to hedge out. Always hedge out when you've got a guaranteed profit. Yeah. Smart play is to pick two or three spots on the card, right? That's a smart play. But uh, we're dealing with a wide variety of fans, and not not all of them are really care about making a slight grind profit. They just want to have some fun on a Friday night or a Saturday night. I, I, I dig that too. So I, I try to cater to everybody, but. If you follow me and you understand the betting style and you appreciate what I do, <clears throat> or you support it, or you enjoy it, or whatever the case, shout out to you, man! I really do appreciate all the people that have uh, kind messages that they send me, and um, yeah, just a, I wouldn't say it's a roller coaster. I mean, just feel like it's people have been super supportive right from the start, even us launching the show. You know, uh, just the reception has been awesome, and <clears throat> yeah, just uh, there's a lot of good people in this community, and uh, yeah, I, I feel like we're doing a good job of bringing a lot of them
0: together absolutely I, i'm not sure if you have much more else to say but i'll give you the platform to say anything on the way out uh before i wrap up the show brother
1: yeah that's about it i mean hit me up on twitter if you've got any questions uh yeah i'm not one of these guys that's like yeah i'm subscribed to my youtube channel but i gotta get a thousand yeah. subscribers so i can monetize it right yeah. uh again i'm at like 600 if you're not following me just you know a quick subscribe if you are following me you demand. man and if you don't want to you know, subscribe and tell me to go fuck myself. That's cool too, man. You're, entirely, <laughs> you're entitled to your opinion. I thought I'd try. I thought I'd try. It didn't work. You slide it in there. Uh, if I got a couple subscriptions out of there, it was all worth it. But uh, yeah, as always, thanks again for joining us on a Thursday night. Sorry about the one hour delay in start time, but uh, again, I thought it worked out for the best.
0: We still had a solid crew of people come out and support the social show. So, shout out to everybody. They're still doing some mathematics in the chat. I'm not even going to bother to figure out what the hell they're trying to talk about in there. But, shout out to everybody that was able to join us on this Thursday evening. If you guys haven't already, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. I know Cody's not going to say it. So, go over there to his channel and hit that subscribe because it'll definitely help him out as well. Because I know he's going to be, he has some big plans for that channel. And I can't wait to see what he brings to life over there. Uh, tomorrow night, like I said, 9 p.m. Eastern, the Ultimate Weigh In Show. I will announce the cast as soon as I'm able to finalize that last slot i will announce it on the twitter page so make sure you guys go check that out either way 9 p.m eastern i will be here along with three other guests of mine to break down the fights for you guys one last time all right appreciate you guys joining us for this ufc 263 edition of propping you up hopefully we can cash some tickets and me and cody will see you guys once again next thursday at 8 p.m eastern good luck on your best this weekend let's cast some tickets fellas.